You have a choice. If you take the blue pill, then you can live comfortably with the lie that everyone unabashedly loves the Matrix. But if you take the red pill, you'll get my honest opinion on the entire Matrix franchise. Remember, all I'm offering is the truth. Nothing more. Alright, so if you've taken the blue pill, feel free to click off our video and unsubscribe. But if you took the red pill, then welcome to the Tuesday with Mores Matrix Special, courtesy of my co-host, Devin King. I'm your Yay. host, Ian Taylor. Uh, joining me tonight is uh, two wonderful guests. Uh, one of them sadly cannot make it tonight, but we're very happy to have Stephen Beeson and animator Drew Adams along with us tonight. Uh, why don't you two introduce yourselves, starting with the Muppet in the room. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> well, thanks for having me. Uh, I, I feel like I've introduced myself before, but if you're, uh, if this is your first time listening, uh, I'm an uh, independent, you know, filmmaker and uh, screenwriter here in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Uh, you can find my short film, Hopeless Romantic, on YouTube. Um, yeah, find me on Facebook, uh, Stephen Beeson, Twitter, at Magic. I'm around, I'm working on new exciting stuff, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just uh, just an uh, independent filmmaker guy, so uh, thanks Woo! for having me, definitely. Alright, Drew? Yeah, uh, thank you guys so much for having me back. I'm so excited for the first episode of the new year, eh? Oh hey, yeah, I almost forgot, Yay. thanks for reminding me. Yeah, so uh, if uh, you've never heard of me before, my name's Drew Adams. I'm a visual effects animator from uh, Canada. I uh, have worked on a bunch of different television shows. My most recent higher profile show was uh, I worked on the third season of the science fiction adventure show Final Space. And uh, from one sci-fi franchise to another, I am absolutely thrilled to be here tonight because I, I have so many fond memories of the matrix um i actually though i'm not on video i've got my vhs tape of matrix one sitting on my desk to inspire me nice <laughs> to keep you that's exactly how i first experienced that film when i was what five or six years old which was absolutely uh, mind-blowing when you barely have a concept of what the real world is suddenly uh, it throws everything into question like this this film has subconsciously influenced me so much over the years and it didn't really hit me um how much it has kind of permeated into my subconscious when uh i finally got to see it on the big screen uh i went to a screening a uh, double feature of the first two films at highland in london some years ago this is london ontario highland's an old school like cinema and they do these uh, retrospective uh, screenings every month and they had a double feature of the first two matrix films on 35 millimeter and that's where i saw it with uh bernard who couldn't make it tonight but uh buddy if you're listening um that was a fun time and um i know he uh grew up with this film he was uh 10 years older than i am so he was uh more aware of the uh the real world than i was when he first experienced it but uh yeah it was really eye-opening just to kind of see it on the big screen and see it uh in that format mm -hmm. yeah i'd imagine well you it, know it it's change it, your way of it, looking it, at it well no it's interesting because um i i actually for somehow some reason i wound up missing out on these films <gasps> so i literally just watched all four of these this week um for the wow. first time yeah no yeah. this was this was quite an experience and 
it, it's funny because we we've talked about this or i've certainly talked about this with um films that you know like casablanca or or the good the bad and the ugly where it's like you feel oh excuse me you feel like you've seen them before there's something about them that they are so absorbed into the the zeitgeist that there's something new and fresh about them but there's also something somehow familiar about them and i i i I really, I mean, this was quite an experience, uh, for <laughs> for better or worse, yeah. If you haven't seen it before, y- you've still seen it, just because it's been referenced in pulp culture God well, knows I how mean, many times. Like, yeah, Shrek, and it's... of all movies, referenced this. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of uh, <laughs> Simpsons references to The Matrix, and just and it's tons also, of inspiration it's also... in pulp culture. Sure, and it's also funny because I remember being a little kid and going to uh, see Shrek in theaters. Like, so, you know, I, I was... <laughs> that was your it, first it experience in Matrix. There you go. Yeah, right. And and Shrek came out, God, 2001? 2000. So, like, I would have been... Oh, wow. Yeah, I was I was born in 95, if that tells you guys anything. <laughs> like, yeah. So it is. It's Not like these... these yeah, these these movies have have been around almost longer than the majority of us have been alive. Yeah. It's uh, it's incredible. Yeah, I remember when I was in public school and uh, what was it, fifth grade, sixth grade, uh, when Matrix Reloaded came out and people were watching the first Matrix again. Like every student was going nuts about the first Matrix. Like wow, it's like the coolest movie ever made. Like if you haven't seen it, you gotta watch this movie. And you know, I asked my dad if I could watch the matrix with him and he's like oh yeah <laughs> like he was really excited to show it to me and at that point he was like i don't mind you showing a bit of frisky stuff and a bit of violence and action and sure i think the problem was like i don't have the nostalgia for it because like a lot of people appreciate this film for being like one of the first sci-fi films to like mix complicated themes with genre action and genre filmmaking but i think blade runner already kind of popped that cherry for me like i watched that movie at a a very young age when i was like five years old i didn't get the plot at all but like the setting and the world and the soundtrack was just so entrancing and that was probably like my first gateway to complicated themes that by the time i got to the matrix even as a kid i was kind of like okay that was cool moving on <laughs> it, it, it was the opposite for me where i saw the matrix as a little kid and that blew my mind and then eventually later on mm-hmm. i discovered uh blade runner although um Actually, it was introduced to me once at a younger age, but I, I couldn't get into the pacing of it when I was, like, really, really young. But it was, like, many years later, I, I come across it again, like, man, I missed out on something here. This is special. And I think both of these films are of that echelon, and for, for, for very different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, well, but, uh, I, yeah, yeah, see, I, God, and, and, and I grew up with, like, the prequels from Star Wars. Me too. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> oh, yeah. same here, same here. Like, yeah, I, no, I, 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 I honestly like one of my first theater experiences that i remember um was attack of the clones so <laughs> i don't know somehow i i missed uh, the matrix but you know I, I i don't know i mean talking about blade runner and you know these sort of ideas um i don't know blade runner like the the first blade runner i think is the better of the two oh, but i really wasn't yeah, I didn't really connect with either of them that much. 
Like, I don't know, but, but this is, uh, this is kind of, this is something different and I'm sure we'll get into that. But I, I think that, mm-hmm. you know, I think like when you talk about these massive, like pop culture, sci-fi, you know, tent poles, right. Um, talking about something like star Wars or something like star Trek, like if you told someone, you know, you got to watch this new Star Trek or this new Star Wars. And they were like, nah, I don't, I don't think I'd, I'd be into that. Like, I could somehow better understand that, you know, because, okay, that's not your thing. But I think the first Matrix, at least, really transcends that. And I, I'm, I'm sure we'll get into that. Right. But I feel like this really hits that sweet spot where it is a genre action film but it also has these deeper layers you know and i i think there's something really brilliant about that all right well i I I think what we need to get into yeah i i think um i I think we need to ask ourselves the age-old question what is the matrix which is the question that hammered so well into the marketing the marketing of this film back in the day was so like top tier i think that's where a lot of the uh interest came from because the website was what is the matrix.com um and if you look at some of the early trailers it's like it's it's a good way to get people excited without even knowing what it was at the time and it's really hard to describe this film just because it is so like well ingrained in the cultural zeitgeist at this point but um basically the matrix is an artificial world um created by uh, machines after a uh, human machine war occurred and all the humans have been essentially turned into uh, batteries or into power uh, pods to fuel the machines uh, while everyone is plugged into this artificial world that resembles our own Um, and that concept that idea uh, was so of its time but also ahead of its time like this film was just for the time that came out was just absolutely right on the money in terms of um, conceptualizing and giving us kind of a a language to describe this stuff. And it has kind of influenced uh, culture ever since it came out and um, for, for for better, for worse. And I think uh, there's lots of interesting uh, discussions to be had there. And um, I actually remember outlining this one time, um, this type of story that I've been wanting to like tell, but I think it is derived from this film. And it's what I call the Neo arc. And it's where a character uh, lives their everyday life and it's kind of drab, but then they notice some weird things happen or there's something that's calling to them. Yeah, a call to and, adventure. Um, and then, yeah, there, yeah there, there's this call to, to, to adventure, but af- after they realize that there's something deeply wrong and flawed with the world that they exist in, which, um, yeah, I think has influenced a lot of kind of cultural thinking these days. It's and very hero's certain... journey. Like, there's a lot about yeah, this movie that reminded me of, like, it, there's vibes of Lord of the Rings and Star Wars, but kind of taken to a new extreme. Like, it's very much, like, it, it's very prophetic in its presentation of, like, the hero's journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the yeah. things I always found so darn charming about The Matrix that I found beautiful when I first saw it and continue to find it adorable to this day. Sorry, <laughs> not adorable. Inspiring, I should say. Sorry. Is that um, the movie is so very gleefully of its time. It clearly takes place in, oh, what, uh, was it 1997 or 1999? 1999. And we need to it's talk in... about, sorry, real quick, Drew, we need to talk about the clever way the film kind of makes itself timeless. Because what you're yes. forgetting is 
It actually takes place in 2099, but the reality presented is 1999. So it's like, well, of course there's dated technology and people are using uh, chunky phones and stuff, proper cell phones, because it takes the reality is in 1999. You know, so of course it makes sense from any time period, but I'm sorry, go on. No, but that's actually a brilliant segue, because what I was going to say is that this film so brilliantly bridges the gap between futuristic technology and contemporary technology. Why do the characters have payphones that they must go in and out of to enter and exit the Matrix? Yeah. Because that is the technology of the time. It's so excellent mm. and so grounded in reality that when it pulls the wool over, uh, over from your eyes, you, you have such a wonderful intentional culture shock. I think that The Matrix, I'm very heavily biased when it comes to the first Matrix film. I adore this movie. Uh, spoilers, audience. I have a good time with this one, and I can't wait to hear what your guys' thoughts are. I, I guess, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, no. I, I, I've i revisited this movie over the years, and every time I do, I, I see something different in it, but I also feel reconnected to have my first experience of it it's one of those films that just works there's a charm to it and it, it just really connects on deeper levels like every time i engage with it and I, I feel just as emotionally engaged in it now than i did when i first experienced it and very few films have uh done that for me and this is something that i remember when i was watching in theaters with bernard who uh again could make it to this podcast he, he noticed that there's quite an interesting aesthetic combination in like the the set design and the things because like the year is 1999 but they're wearing like these big like leather clothes and they have these cars that look like they're from like the 1950s and it's just this clash of different things um and, and different like cultures as well like there's people of all different kind of colors in this and uh and backgrounds but they all kind of live in the same world and they all have this green filter on them, which is how they visually distinguish the Matrix world from the yeah. uh, real world. And that's all taken from the fact that, you know, IMB, uh, IBM computers were all just green text in Courier New on a black uh, background. Yeah. And it's uh, – I, I think there was a certain – there, there was a certain thing behind that. Uh, I forget the yeah. exact technology mm -hmm. uh, that made it that way, but – it's all it's all taken from that. I think the green is mostly added into like the shadows, and it's not like a full green cast on everything. But just that very simple color grade is such a brilliant but simple kind of way to distinguish the real world yeah. from the artificial world. It also makes uh, any scene where they trans uh, transition between the Matrix and Zion just very super smooth. Because it's like any time they cut back, it's like, okay, this is blue, this is the real world, and this is green, this is the Matrix. So they could just cut back and forth constantly, and you're never lost. Like, there's always a sense of visual clarity. So from exactly. that perspective, the tint works. And I absolutely love like the grime and texture on everything. Like you, you can mm -hmm. feel and breathe this film and all of its filth. Which I like that it's not clean. Like the, the, this artificial reality actually isn't clean. It tries to it tries to convince you with like the textures and whatnot. Yeah. And it does an excellent job of that. And well, and it's I mean it's also worth noting. I mean like as far as the film itself, like how ahead of its time it was because if you look i mean in the years prior to the matrix 
there were films like The Net with Sandra Bullock where it's like she orders a Johnny pizza Nemonic. on the internet, you know? And then there's movies like, um, uh, you know, Virtuosity with uh, Russell Crowe and Denzel Washington. There was even another film that kind of tries to be The Matrix, also starring um, Keanu Reeves called Johnny Monomic. Yes. Oh my goodness, like, we gotta watch that one at some point. Oh, I want man. to talk about the cyber dolphin, but that's a future conversation. <laughs> yeah, uh, and there's also like even the trailer this. is like he, he can carry eighty gigabytes in his head and it's like Wow <laughs> You're thinking to yourself so like much he memory. can't even you know he can't even load Call of Duty in his brain. But you know, it's <laughs> <No>. like <laughs> it's like so many people tried yeah, to it, capture it, this. It's, it's because and... I, I think they date themselves that way when they list like specific gigabytes or specific technological things where I think this film does a clever job not mentioning any specs other yeah. than this is encrypted and like the, the render is so realistic you can it's indistinguishable from reality so that already throws yeah. you right into the fact that this they thing. don't explain how it works which is more of an issue of the sequels but the first movie they do strike a good enough balance where I, I oh, think yeah. there is a lot of unneeded exposition in this movie and we'll get to that but somehow the exposition never delves into explaining too much about how the world works and i think that helps with the timeless mm. nature of it as well uh, there, there is there's another film that this shares similarities with and that's a uh, dark city I was gonna in say fact could, yeah. um the rooftop that uh trinity is running across uh is as borrowed set pieces from dark city actually they wanted to use mm -hmm. the real roof but it was just better in that case that they uh filmed it on yeah. a stage also and they had leftover set pieces from uh from dark city so there is a very literal connection between these two movies in that sense yeah apparently the movie... well and i sorry go on no no go ahead go ahead yeah apparently what? the movie had some budget issues as well like uh you were saying with they were used sets from Dark City, but the reasoning the costuming is the way it is is because it was a lot cheaper. Like, they basically hmm. just bought stuff at a thrift store, and they were like, okay, it this looks... It looks expensive, though. Yeah, like they, it they, does. They got some great... Like, the fact... Oh, actually, I love this. I love the fact that they got it from thrift stores, because yeah, I, I love going Yeah, they had stores. to save money and I, cut I love, costs, yeah. I love finding, like, expensive used things at thrift stores. Like, <clears> someone <throat> spent a pretty penny at a mall in the 60s on this back in the day. And, and now I'm it's, buying it it's for just, 10 bucks. Yeah. I, I, I'm getting it for like six bucks or something like yeah. that. I'm sorry, uh, Drew and Steven, go on. No, no, I, I was just going to say, I mean, it's also worth noting that, I mean, 1999, like I was talking about how in the years um, coming up to this, there had been films that had tried this kind of thing before. Um, but 1999, not only was it the best, like, iteration of this idea, like, 1999 was one of those touchstone years, as far as I'm concerned, where it's like everything, almost everything that came out was just incredible. I mean, this is the same year that you have um, being John Malkovich, you have The Green Mile, you have Magnolia, you have American Beauty bringing out the dead, and they're all films that are kind of dealing with existentialism and, you know, these kind of similar themes. But, you know, I saw um, Edward Norton um, interview one time. And I think also um, 
coming out around the same time in 1998 was American History X. And he was talking about that there was a period in the late 90s where it's like Hollywood didn't quite know where to go. And it was it was almost as if the studio executives were like, we're going to close our eyes. Here's the money and just try to get us out of this. Try to give us something new. You know, they're, they're almost passing the torch because they don't know where to go. And and I feel like there's something really beautiful about that. And and I feel like we got some incredible films out of that particular yeah. moment. Uh, I think at this point I'm gonna be the white rabbit in the room. And uh, I it just like how I'm the only person in my household that doesn't like the Matrix. I'm the only person here that doesn't like the Matrix. But I don't hate the movie. Like, contrary, like everybody oh. thinks I hate the movie, but I don't hate it. Like, there are things I appreciate about it. I'd like to go over those things real quick, if that's all right. Um, yeah, absolutely. Like, starters, I, I want to hear this. Yeah, for starters, it uh, looks beautiful. Like you said, Devin, like, the color grading was really clever. And fun fact, uh, the Blu-ray disc for I rented that Jumbo video for this broke down. Like, it was just total crap. They didn't fix it or anything. So I had to watch a 4K rental version of the matrix just to watch the rest of the movie without getting jitters every five seconds and they oh, toned down the color grading they toned down the green and it just takes away so much from the atmosphere and some people complain about the color grading but now that's gone i kind of missed it and on, is, it, it, yeah. is it is it that it was toned down or does your tv not have hdr no it, it toned it down because the blu-ray i watched like the first 10 or so minutes i was able to watch the green was jacked up like mm -hmm. to what the original that, vision was, and they that, just that might be a color space thing because I I went back and forth. I've got the 4K uh, version of it, and um and and I was going back between that and like the digital copy you get with it. Um, I didn't notice like major discrepancies with it, but I think HDR enabled is, um uh, is is important in your, in terms of getting that. There's a technical yeah. thing with like color spaces yeah. or whatnot, HDR but you, it will look more saturated yeah. on like the, on the normal kind of color space. I guess so, but. Yeah, on top of that, the soundtrack is great. And not the orchestral soundtrack, which I personally think is kind of forgettable. What carries the Matrix and makes the Matrix for me is the licensed music. Is so this mm -hmm. mix of techno and heavy metal just gives the film so much atmosphere and personality. Like Spy Break by Propellerheads or the remix of Dragula by Rob Zombie or, you know, Minefields, Rest in Peace Prodigy, just adds so much to the atmosphere like when i think of the matrix oh, yeah. i don't think of the official main theme i think of like club to death like that song is the matrix to me every time i hear that song mm -hmm. it just breathes yeah. matrix oh, and that's yeah. something I, the I, I, I disagree the orchestral music is is um forgettable i think yeah. it's very iconic in this case but i also agree that the soundtrack absolutely slaps. This was one of the best soundtracks of the 90s yeah. uh, next to Space Jam. Yeah, it Actually, was the probably... second highest selling movie soundtrack. <laughs> and if it weren't for yeah. Space Jam, it would be number one, ironically. Oh, and yeah. The action choreography is pretty great. Like, that's something the sequels kind of drowned down in quality in a fair bit, in my opinion. But, like, the lobby chase, like, the lobby show is the best scene in the movie. Like, it's just, despite the fact that nobody can aim worth shit, it's so much fun. And just knowing uh, no. what went on behind the scenes is so great. But as soon Ian, as I people need to ask something. go on, I need to ask something directly about the lobby scene, though. Yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm sorry if I'm going to start a fight here, but I got to start. <laughs> like, um, please do. 
Go for ahead. a film that takes place all about a world of digital simulation. Yeah. I adore that this this movie has aged like fine wine for me because most of it's practical effects. Yes, I know. That's not a fight. I 100% agree with that. And the CGI that's there is dated, but the fact that they emphasize on practical effects so much, and the set was um, styrofoam. Like, all of that concrete was just styrofoam. They broke into little chunks, and every single time they cut, even if the broken concrete wasn't in the frame, they had the set rebuilt every single time they cut or transferred to the next scene. Every single time that set had to be rebuilt from scratch because they just had such an eye for detail. It, it, from a visual perspective, a filmmaking perspective, yeah, The Matrix is great. But as soon as people start talking, <laughs> it, it, this is the issue I have every time I watch The Matrix. I, I see the opening chase scene with Trinity and I think, wow, this is pretty cool. Why don't I like this movie? And then we get to Neo's drug addict friend and he says the great line uh, you're my savior man you're my personal Jesus Christ and I'm like oh that's why I don't like this movie <laughs> and it just I appreciate the themes it's going for it's just but we well, mentioned I mean, this before to, Steve wait, wait 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 you you have to remember though that that guy is like essentially he's an NPC well <laughs> here's my problem though the dialogue doesn't get any better once they leave the matrix in fact I'd argue it gets worse <laughs> in certain ways oh I, I I don't know I mean I think it's I, serviceable I don't think it's I don't know I mean man. I don't, I don't any think any time Trinity like tried to confess it give reasoning to why she loves Neo. It's just so embarrassing. That final monologue she gives at the end where it's like blankly stares at <laughs> the love of her life and says, when the Oracle told me I'd fall in love with a dead man, I never thought it'd be you. It's just so poorly written, and I don't buy the relationship well, at all. Is it that it's poorly written or overwritten? Because this, is, this has it's been – well, this is the, the, the main criticism that I hear with the, with the sequels. Uh, which we'll get into later, and I would mostly agree with that, but I, I still think it holds up and it's serviceable for the story, and it is of a certain – I mean at least it's kind of unique. Like it's very uh, recognizable, like this Matrix type of dialogue. It's it's hard to say that, that – it's very hard for films to kind of develop their own unique voice and their own unique kind of language, and you can take it and leave it as it is, but so many films rely on other films' cliches and ideas – and this film arguably created a bunch of cliches. I, um, which I'd is say both the film's very thing. cliche as well, too, though. Like, we mentioned before, this movie is hero's journey to the bone. Like, every step of the hero's journey. It doesn't really do anything interesting with that concept, in my opinion. Like, that's I my kind of right. biggest oh, issue, I, is I that I the characters are essentially agree. just exactly. steps in the hero's journey. Like, all of their motivations are based around Neo, but... Because of that, it just felt like the characters fell flat in other segments. It's like if you didn't have Neo, okay, well, you I wouldn't mean, be Stephen, Stephen, Stephen this is well. your first time seeing this, so I, I want to <laughs> yeah. hear, as as a total a new person just getting into the Matrix, what yeah. was your initial take with this film? Oh, I think it was brilliant, and I I think that I mean, there's something about it that I mean. <sighs> How do I even begin, right? I mean, it's one of those films. And I think that, I, I don't know, I've I've never heard someone, I, I don't mean this towards Ian, but it's like I've never heard someone who just <laughs> flat out had these kind of problems because I think part of the beauty of the original Matrix is that you can look at it and you can be like, 
you know, this is just a straight up action movie, you know, and you can talk about uh, the Hong Kong fighting and you can look at that from that angle. Or, you know, I've seen people say that this is like a perfect uh, live action adaptation of Catholic dogma. I mean, you go on YouTube (laughs) and there are literal priests and like bishops within the Catholic Church who think that this is like a masterpiece for how it portrays their faith. There are people who look at this and, you know, they're going through the same kind of uh, gender discovery that uh, the Wachowskis went through. Mm -hmm. And they're like, Mm -hmm. no, this is a trans experience. And I think that in a way, every single one of those people are valid in a sense, because the Matrix is it's kind of what you make it. And yeah. I feel like there is some brilliance to that. I have seen so many films come out lately where, you know, it's like the the message or sort of the intent of the film is not nuanced and it's not... Oh, know, okay. Stuff. I got to disagree no, no. with that. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> but no. Go on. Hold, hold on. Go on. It's, it's not nuanced. It's not subtle. Hmm. But... You know, this film, I think that if I watch it, I'm going to pull something out of it different than just about anyone else who watches it. And I think that there is absolutely brilliance in that. And you can you can talk about that maybe that's sort of the flaw with the sequels is that they kind of try to... They just ditched it entirely, yeah. Well, they, they I, try I, to over-explain I, it and remove some of well, that interpretation. Yeah. But... I still, I mean, I think is a standalone film, and even in the context of the sequels, and we'll get into that. But I, I think this is like a masterpiece. I mean, I, I really, yes. truly do. I, I think there's so few works of art that are so well constructed that people's views of it, criticisms tend to be more so a personal reflection than commenting about the film itself. Like you can nitpick all the technical details, but and this is this is what I find just so fascinating about film criticism and, and films like this is that it ends up being a reflection of the viewer almost. It's hard to create like an objective criticism of this thing without saying something about yourself and your own view. And that's why I say up front that this film was hugely influential to me. I saw it at a very young age, and it has subconsciously influenced so many uh, things that I'm just like that i discover more about myself every time i watch this movie and that's something that i really appreciate about it that and it's, it, it's it, also it, i mean it's not just you it's not just us as the audience it's also i mean this influenced hollywood action films for better or worse oh, like yeah. ever since mm-hmm. i mean you look at something like uh wanted and it's like there's no wanted without the matrix yeah, it's now, part of the, the video wa- games too yeah, exactly. I mean, Max Payne, Fear. Yeah, definitely I mean, Cry probably won't those, exist either. Yeah. Well, some of those are better than others, yeah, sure. But it's still, I mean, I think we all, whether you're an audience or a filmmaker or whatever, you're just like a casual viewer, I think we all sort of owe a debt of gratitude to this film, whether we would admit it or not, or whether no. we realize it or not. <laughs> uh, I think... It's crazy how much they, like, uh, combined genres too because this takes Hong Kong action 
This takes notes of uh, Western sci-fi, sci obviously, and it blends them in such a way where it feels organic and natural. Not too many well, films it also, are doing it at that time. Yeah, and it also does something that I think was kind of popular at the time, where it's taking influence from uh, Japanese animation. Oh, it's very anime. Yeah. yeah, if you look at something like Requiem for a Dream from uh, 2000, there are sequences of that that, you know, Darren Aronofsky pretty much lifted entirely from Perfect Blue. Mm. And then, you you know, you look at something like Inception, which, yeah, it came much later, but it is kind of doing... Um, yeah, it has that vibe to it. Rest you know, in peace, so, Satoshi Kone. Yes, rest in peace. Yes. You're an artist. Yeah, yeah. Uh, see, I don't agree that this film is subtle. In fact, that's one of my biggest issues with it is that so originally well, the script uh, didn't have so much exposition in it but the script was just so convoluted that the producers basically insisted on adding in a bunch of exposition scenes to explain the plot and i think it's just so obvious like there's so many scenes where they just explain like the themes of the film directly down the audience's throat sometimes out of nowhere sometimes in a way that's not organic to the story like well i mean what, what this... would be an example of well, that well a good you? example i'd like to use is um i i don't want to say uh guy pierce's friend uh joe pontelliano uh um, oh, yeah, yeah the scene with him where he's like uh you know the steak i i know the taste of the steak isn't real i know the matrix is just telling me that it's juicy and delicious like that the thing that yeah, it's kind of an interesting discussion, but it comes out of nowhere. Like the question that I don't, I don't agree well, with that. The question that Agent Smith that. asked him before is, "Do we have a deal?" And that's his answer. I'm just expecting it to be like, "Okay, that's not really what I asked." But then he's like, "So we do have a deal." But what does that have to do with the question? Well, it has. Well, it to just do comes with out of nowhere that, because no, the no, Wachowski's no, no. need to sound it, profound. It has to do with the fact that he is. He's look. He's looking at this and he's saying. Now, you know, I can take the red pill and I can live, you know, in this kind that of wasn't real the world. Question he and asked, I can though. <laughs> eat... Okay, but but right, but he's saying I can eat slop, you know, and be on a ship, on a cold dark ship and maybe if I'm lucky, I go back to this like <laughs> nude rave, you know, that like everybody's <laughs> having on the, you know, hell town. Uh, yeah, Zion. It's like let's save that, that for the next film discussion. Or, 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 I can just sit here, I can eat a steak, and be an actor, and be a millionaire, and have whatever I want. And so, yeah, I think I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that deal. I, I think don't know. He... <laughs> how, how, how many villains have, like, a... So, so, so he's a traitor to the crew, obviously. But he's his like very motivation obvious makes traitor. sense. Yeah. Yeah. His, his motivation makes sense. He's he's been dealing with this real world BS for nine years, and he feels underappreciated. And he, I guess he's resentful that he's not the one or something. But it's very understandable that someone can lose their faith in the whole thing. And he just ex yeah. he, he just accepts that. that this is our artificial world, but I can have anything I want here. I just want to stay plugged in. And you know, it's great when you have a villain that has an understandable motive like that, and I'd agree. I, I think I, I I think the sequels you can accuse of having a lack of subtlety. I think the first one just strikes that right balance, I don't and know. it's the reputation <laughs> of the other two that I think is affecting your view of this, Ian. I think, I think if the you watch the first are even one, it, less subtle than the first movie, but I don't think the first movie is particularly subtle. I, I I think the first one strikes a perfect balance to 
bring these high concept ideas to a mainstream audience because they were pulling a lot from um what's that philosopher's name jean billiard um yes I, yeah I, I, yeah I, i'm butchering that which they they reference almost directly in that he has a book of simulacra and simulation um hollowed out in his apartment neo when he's handing him the illegal disc program of something yeah. and he, he references some ideas of that philosopher which are really fascinating although uh the guy who came up with those ideas initially distanced himself from this movie because this is like a Hollywood popcorn version of his ideas. But um, well, I, it is, yeah, it, that, it is I cool to have that, that in a mainstream film still. Like, yeah, I, do I, like that I they... agree with that, but I just wish it was more interwoven into like the visual storytelling and the world building. Like, I kind of oh, want to see what the original well script into. I, I Yeah, I, I do. I, I, mean, I, I just have to agree to disagree on that one. All right, but um, I mean, you, also... you, you, you mentioned you mentioned they they take a lot of influence from uh, Japanimation, as oh, they called yeah, it back in the day. Sure. I wondered oh, if yeah. uh, if Drew noticed any particular references or ideas oh, yeah. that. Yeah, please. Oh my gosh! Well, um, one of the ones that uh, I didn't realize until some number of years later, after watching, though not Japanese, um, still very inspired by anime, was uh, Peter Chung's Eon Flux. Uh, so late night, you know, late night MTV uh storytelling eon flux is a personal favorite television show of mine and i could blather on endlessly but uh, one of the references i didn't realize is that not only were the wachowskis uh very much fans of this tv show there's actually a very direct reference in the matrix to eon flux and so uh when neo is being interrogated by agent smith they put a bug in him to track him they they have this thing that crawls into his belly button, this horrifying scenario, and that's actually a direct, well, that's a, a, an idea, I'll say, directly inspired by and not stolen from uh, one of the episodes of Eon Flux, where they uh, have an episode, they question human morality and consciousness and conscience, and so they have, um, in Eon Flux, the, the villain has uh, mechanical entities robotic skeletons hosts if you will that will crawl inside of a person and manipulate their mind and physical actions and so it's a commentary on is it okay to you know manipulate people if that is for some form of altruistic good whatever that might manifest as and uh peter chung was actually aware of this inspiration in the matrix because later on, the Wachowskis actually reached out to him and said, Hey, dude, we kind of lifted at least one or two of your ideas for our movie. <laughs> Want a direct part of the Animatrix? Oh. And they hired him on to do Matriculated in Animatrix. That's not a part of tonight's discussion, but I will be referencing Animatrix a little bit. I because... feel like you have to, because the sequels pull characters from the Animatrix, don't they? They do. Uh, one of the short films is actually directly canonical. I think it's called, what is it, Last Flight of the Osiris? Um, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, that's the, uh, so they have a short film in Animatrix explaining essentially, you know, in, we'll get to this later, but yeah, in definitely. a future episode, they, future movie they mentioned, sure. uh, a ship has gone missing and, and possibly got destroyed to get them some vital information and this is the short film, Last Flight of the Osiris, is the story of that ship prior to its tragic nice. fate. Would you guys agree, on a brighter note, in the original Matrix, would you guys agree that Hugo Weaving is the best actor in this movie? 
Oh my gosh, that's a tough one. But I, 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 I think I... he's neck and neck with Lawrence Fishburne. I think those two are so committed to this, and it's in their body language. I noticed this when I saw it on the big screen, just how precise their gestures are with their dialogue. And I don't know how much of that was storyboarded and directed to be oh, exactly that directed. way, or how yeah. much was like... I, I can tell they took time to really rehearse and compose this. Just the way Morpheus and Hugo Weaving hold their hands and articulate certain dialogue while gesturing with their hands is so precise and thought out. It feels like a well-oiled, well-crafted machine. And just seeing the physicality of those two actors when they go head-to-head in a fight, uh, it's like seeing two titans kind of colliding. Yeah. Like, it, it's it's more <laughs> monumentous than Godzilla versus Kong. <laughs> Well, I don't, I don't know that I would, I don't know that, yeah, I don't know that I would agree that, that Hugo Weaving specifically, I mean, it's, it's really tough to say. I mean, it's also worth noting, I mean, like, it, this was at a time where, um, like, Keanu Reeves specifically was going through a real rough patch. This was like, this was for him what Pulp Fiction was for John Travolta, because if you look at you know, his sort of filmography up until this point, the last thing that he had really done uh, of note was Speed. And, you know, that's the movie that's uh, essentially die hard, but on a moving bus. You know? yeah. and, uh, it was also incredibly uh, successful, though. Like, yeah, I'd argue I mean, that movie kind of saved this career. No, no, first. it was very successful. And, I mean, it's, you know, we've we've talked about uh, the Die Hard ripoffs before. You know, we've talked <laughs> about, like, Die Hard in a school shooting. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, but, yeah, uh, you know, like, it, it was massively successful. And it was also funny because uh, Keanu Reeves did that, and he swore he would never do another action movie. He didn't want to get, you know... D- to get like pigeonholed and you know typecast like from then on i'm gonna be the action Whoops. guy yeah and he said basically you know i'm gonna walk away i'm gonna do independent little outhouse films and you know it was stuff like a walk in the clouds johnny you know of, <laughs> the, yeah johnny monomic you know feeling minnesota and it, it, i it, want room service sorry it, yeah <laughs> i mean it's also funny because like <laughs> what would happen was he would sign on to these films like Johnny Monomic, and you know he would sign on with the intent of okay this is going to be a little small art house independent I mean essentially what A24 <laughs> is today um, and then they would get Keanu Reeves attached and it was like oh shit we've got the speed guy let's turn this into an action movie and so, you know, I mean, he did The Devil's Advocate, but nothing was really quite sticking the way that I, I think he had hoped for and, and the way that was resonating with audiences. And this was really what brought him into the forefront again. Um, and so, I mean, I, I personally, I thought his, you know, performance was great, um, you know, and I, I, I thought... Lawrence Fishburne was great. Carrie Ann Moss. I, I, I mean, I got to disagree with Ian here. I thought she did fantastic. And actually, mm. Christopher Nolan yeah. <laughs> tended to agree with me because you know she 
wound up getting the part in Memento because of this, yeah. based on her performance here. I'd imagine oh, Joe Pantaleano was the same way, but I think they're yeah, both exactly. much, much better in Memento than in this movie. But oh, I disagree. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, well, I, I, Memento's great. It's 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 great scene. Who, who, I'm biased because it's one of my favorites. Oh, who are we talking about? Joe sure. Pantaleano? Uh, both. I'd say both. Joe Paltaliano oh, well. and Carrie Ann Moss. I, I, I just I just love that line where he's like, Lenny! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, uh, you know my mom hates it. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. Well, anytime he says it, it's just entertaining. It's like, my mom hates calling... It's like, my mom used to call me that. I hate that name. Uh, did I tell you that? Only uh, every time I see you... Sorry, I'm biased. Memento yeah. is like one of the best No, Memento ever, is, but... is a masterpiece. I mean, I, I agree with you. But I also think that this is incredible. And That's, I, I mean, I'm glad I, you enjoy it. Yes. Well, <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I, I, I don't know. And, and I think that a lot of what this film touches upon, and I think it resonates um, with pretty much every audience member that I've, that I've heard, of, you know, people that have discussed this film is that I feel like there's a sense of community um, that comes with, uh, that sort of idea of like the red pill. And I think that now more than ever, we're kind of entering this world where there are these divisions and it's like, you, you know, you're woke, you're based in red pills, you know, and it, it means, it means Welcome, different literally things. woke. Yeah. Welcome no, to it, the club. Yeah, no. And it, it means different things to different people. And, and I think that, you know, if you are someone who, I don't know, unironically believes that, you know, everyone in Hollywood and in politics is a lizard person. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> as crazy as that may be, I'm not saying that I subscribe to that, but I'm saying that if you did, and, this you know, you were the you. only, yeah, if you were the only person that was supposedly, you know, woke to, to know this, to know that there was some, you know, giant conspiracy out there, uh, you know, then then you would have to find this community uh, of people, and I, I, you know, that that also believed in what you're saying, and I think that the film illustrates that. And like, well, you know, there's Neo, and he finds Morpheus, and he finds uh, Trinity, and I, I think that people really resonate that with that, and I, I, I think that it's like I was talking about yeah, earlier. Yeah, Trinity like is this hot, and Morpheus is cool. Yeah, well, I think, I think it's <laughs> that's all like, the characters have to offer for me, man. Like, I, no, I'm no, I, I, I think that you know it's fascinating, and I, I really I'm struggling to understand where you're coming from with the lack of subtlety. No, I, I I've that's just fine because I, I feel no, like no, I've just I, mentioned like 15 different groups from Catholic yeah, groups, I, from you know LGBT, from conspiracy theories. I, I don't want to sound pretentious. this film for better or worse. I, that they're a part of something. I don't. And so I don't know. I'm going to allow you. I'm going to allow you to say pretentious people. once more in this podcast, but that's it. That's. It. <laughs> hey, come on. Our, our yeah, subtitle is. No, no, no. We, 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 we have to have a counter anytime that word comes up because it just becomes shallow criticism. So I will allow you to say pretentious once more. <laughs> no, in this I. Podcast, no, I'm, I'm. And that is it. Criticizing myself for sounding pretentious, though. That's oh, what I was. We're, we're going to get into self-criticism soon. Don't but, worry. No, yeah. No, this is a serious <laughs> question, though, Ian. Like, how can, after all I've said, like all the different people that this well, film has affected, 
How can you say that it's not subtle? Here's the thing. Art is open to interpretation. Like, yes. it, one man's trash is another man's treasure. Are you, Somebody are could you look really at... calling this film trash? I, it's not trash. It's just I don't enjoy this on a story level compared to okay, other people. Okay, well, you're wrong. <laughs> <Go ahead>. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm not saying they're projecting on things that aren't there in the Matrix. It's just, for me personally, it's not so much that I don't see them as I don't resonate with them i just i don't like the way it's delivered and conveyed let's just put it in that's that fair. regard it's like i don't I mean, I like guess. the presentation of the story through like the acting well, and, and writing if i'll say something though it's that i think this is a real testament to the quality of this film because it can inspire and criticize and confuse and entertain so much yeah and that's one thing i, I like think about it. Even yes. even regarding the future entries in the franchise, which I don't know if anyone holds them as high as the original, I think that Matrix 1 will stand as, justifiably so, an absolute pillar of pop culture, sometimes for better and sometimes for worse. And one exactly, thing, that, yeah. something that I, I ruminate that. on every now and again, uh, very similar to poor, poor Orson Welles, is that this was, if I'm not mistaken, one of the Wachowski's first films... And they not only made a icon of science fiction cinema, but they even invented more than one cinematic technique. For God's sake, they invented the bullet time shot, and I don't envy the legacy of having to follow up with that. Well, in slow motion and well, action I mean, movies they... was fame for a long period of time, but I guess that particular effect they was They had different. to yeah. invent the cameras yeah. to capture, you know, <laughs> Trinity, like, mid-air. You know, yeah, it's it's it, it's just it's a whole array of like SLR cameras that are perfectly positioned and mathematically like timed to go off at certain times, so that th the whole process of capturing someone in motion like that is what's um is what's revolutionary. It's not the slow motion element that has been around ever since cameras could record more than twenty four frames. It's the way it's I, shot. Uh, I'm just reminding myself, I wanted to mention, uh, there's a film by a man named Zita Vertov in Russia called Man with a Movie Camera, and he experimented with camera techniques way early on, um, slow motion, fast motion, and um, split Time frames, and all, and all these techniques that we take for granted or even seen as gimmicky today, he kind of fucks around with and uh, pioneered way, way back in the day, so a lot of credit goes to him, I'd say. People always say that's a very scholarly re reference when I bring it up, but fuck it, it's true. Um, but, <laughs> okay, um, boomer. But no, like the Matrix blended um, this like technology with modern uh, CGI, basically just using like frame blending to to make it all look like one smooth motion. But um, it's just the combination of things that was innovative and that was worth uh, of worth. Uh, of note and i wanted to yeah, try to find the vfx art uh the, the the actual vfx person who was behind it but uh, a lot of credit should go to him well and i mean i i think you know talking about the kind of technical aspects i mean this isn't the first film to do slow motion in a fight scene i mean john woo obviously uh you know there was sam peckinpahawkins uh oh, yeah yeah, well, I mean, you know, Peck and Paw with Straw Dogs and The Wild Bunch. I mean, this was something that was going on for a while. And I, I think that, you know, if you're talking about a gunfight, something that we kind of take for granted, um, especially nowadays, is that 
normally gunfights don't take as long as they do in movies. You know, it's more akin to um, if you guys have ever seen um, the Wind River, the end where it's yeah. just like bang yeah. bang, everyone's dead. Yeah, you or know? Raiders of the Lost Ark, where he just shoots exactly. the guy. Like, yeah, that's why a real gunfight takes place. That's how a real gunfight takes place. And it's yeah. fast and it's brutal, and you don't know how to react. And because of that, I mean, depending on the kind of film um, that you're making, there's not a lot of opportunity there to draw out suspense and to draw out tension. And so I think what the Wachowskis did here by just completely slowing things down to such a to such a pace and to make it make sense in the narrative, because in other films it was. I mean, it was a stylistic decision, and it was kind of cool. But this, this also kind of has a narrative weight to it. Yeah. And I think that there is some genius in that. That's true. Um, but yeah, I mean, another thing that I, I think is really brilliant about the first Matrix, um, that scene where Neo wakes up, uh, it, that is, <laughs> to me, one of the most brilliant examples of uh existential like cosmic horror yes when you're really. in that pod of goo mm -hmm. and you know you find out that you know all of this liquid is being heated and cooled to you know simulate the weather and he's got little like probes on him to simulate taste and touch and he's got this tube down his throat and i i I mean, there is so much like when this was circulating around Hollywood, um, this was called the script that no one understood. <laughs> it was yeah, like exactly. people couldn't. This was so far ahead of its time that people couldn't even wrap their heads around it. Like th there's a great story of like the Wachowskis going to Will Smith and trying to explain it to him. And he's like, I don't understand any of this, you know? <laughs> but and I like just it. The whole yeah. reason he, he turned down the role, and they were going to have Keith or Sutherland in the place of Morpheus, and how uh, weird so, and different of a movie would that have been? So, I, yeah, be they were going to have Will Smith <laughs> as Neo. They were going to have Val Kilmer as Morpheus. What? Oh, Val Kilmer. I thought and, it was Keith or Sutherland. Oh, okay. No, no, no it was I, Val I don't Kilmer like they, the acting in this movie, but that would not work. <laughs> oh, they Even also remotely. were going to put uh, Janet Jackson as Trinity. Wow. So, this could have been a very different movie. And I mean, yeah, we, sure. we've kind of talked, uh, you know, before in something like Yeah, like Lord of the Rings. You know, like, it was originally going to be Sean Connery as Gandalf and a whole bunch of different I'm almost actors. disappointed we didn't get that. But I, It would have been interesting. <laughs> it would have been interesting. But, you know, we, I, I, I imagine there's an alternate timeline where that happened, and I'm, I'm oh, curious. Yeah. There's an alternate timeline I mean, with Will as, Smith as Neo. Uh, just just, just with a... Well, just as an aside, I mean, they wanted O.J. Simpson to play the Terminator. And oh, yeah. It was funny because uh, James Cameron made the statement that no one would ever believe that O.J. Simpson could be a killer. <laughs> oh, the Terminator. <laughs> They're right. <laughs> oh, no. unless, unless you're Norm Donald. I forgot yeah, about that. Right. <laughs> well, murder oh, no. legal in the state of California. All right. Um, yes. <laughs> No, uh... but I, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't want to just go on and on, but I, I, I really, I mean, I think this is really transcends a lot of things that are in this genre and, and the films that tried to capture this after the fact. Fair enough.
Well, I, I'm really happy that you enjoyed it, Stephen, because yeah, I, I wouldn't know how to. Well, I, I could argue for it all day, but um, yeah, well, I, I, mean... I, I, I can't describe to you when I saw that scene of him waking up. And I was like maybe six years old. It reminded me of being born, and just like uh, it just has such a visceral impact. Like when you see it at a yeah, young age. Yeah, the imagery of it, him like I, taking the cord out of his mouth. Like that was. Cool. I, I, oh oh yeah. god, it's 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 so visceral, but it, mm. it's it's so effective. And then I I also like the scene where like he's on he's seeing lights for the first time, and he doesn't realize that that's because his, he never used his eyes before, and he has all those acupuncture needles on him. I mean, there's so many scenes that you just feel when, when you watch it and so yeah. many film so, so few films can really capture that um yeah. oh i found that person's name john gata uh he's he's the person that hey. uh de helped develop the whole bullet time sequence which really is just an evolution of the first motion picture thing they ever did way way back then uh when they were trying to capture uh a horse running because someone was trying to bet uh to do all or who's left off the air at some point and they had an array of cameras just taking still pictures and that was technically like the first motion film so really it's just an evolution of that very first initial idea nice well but yeah, the way the way right. they use it is is what's revolutionary it's all right anyway <laughs> it looks cool uh I, I also like the Smith chase at the fight, at the end of the movie. That kind of reminded me of Seven. Yes. Like, it reminded me a lot of the chase scene in Seven. Like, the way he's barreling through different apartments, the way it's shot. Even the music sounds very familiar to Howard Shore's score for that scene. But can you guys at least admit that kissing a dead guy was kind of weird? Like, she kisses mm -hmm. Keanu Reeves when she, he's well, dead. Like, he's technically dead in that what's, scene. What, what, Wait, What's which weird one? about that? When Carrie Ann Moss kisses Keanu Reeves at the end of the movie, and I'm pretty sure Keanu Reeves is dead at that point, or at least he's close to dead, or she thinks he's dead. So she straight no, up just she says she, she says you can't be dead. You missed the whole point of that. Well, scene. she said think, you can't yeah, be dead. I, I, I thought that was denial. Like, wasn't that just denial? Like she no, was like, no, no, no you can't. It was conviction. Be... Well, I think it's supposed to be kind of like Snow White in a sense, like her love yeah, is bringing okay. him back. Oh. Which I mean is kind of hokey in itself, so... but the the it film works. it no, kind it of works. But the <laughs> film also makes a point, and I mean it's it's funny to talk about this now, knowing the uh, knowing the context that we do about the you know about the uh, creators of the film. But uh, there are several moments throughout the film <laughs> that someone will refer to Keanu Reeves' character as like. Dorothy or Alice in Wonderland. Oh, they reference Alice in Wonderland three times. Yeah, because well, once wasn't enough. Yeah, but the the Snow White thing. I mean, it's it's kind of uh, yeah. May, maybe there's something there. <laughs> I I anyway, just thought that was really it's, dumb. Oh, we, we 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 are uh, an hour into this, and we've only talked about the first film. We have three more films to go. Yeah, gentlemen, what would so. you guys rate The Matrix? Ten. I'd give it 11 if I could. What about you, Stephen? Uh, 10. <laughs> Five I, I will... Yeah, go on. Base red-pilled. You're, base you're officially woke. This, <laughs> like, when I think about what this movie has done for me and given me and entertained for me, I actually give this movie a 9. I sincerely do. I, I, I adored this movie, and I'll gladly watch it again. All right. I, Hell yeah. Like, I'm really glad you guys enjoy it and people can resonate with me. I This is like my seventh time trying with this movie, but I just... 
I can't get behind on the hype. Like, as soon as they just start talking and the way the story is explored, and I like the ideas, I just don't like the way they're presented. We'll, we'll just leave it mm. at that. It's a lot about the filmmaking and the action scenes I appreciate, uh, but I, I can't give it any higher than a 5 out of 10. I'm sorry. Wow. I just, I just can't connect with this one. Not even a 6.9. Jesus Christ. No, I'm it's sorry. It's all downhill from here. <laughs> I didn't wow. have that much fun with it. I'm sorry. But I appreciate you're, it. You're, 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 you're going to hate me next week, Ian. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Oh, boy. You're, you're just going to shun on The Godfather on purpose. <laughs> yeah, you're not even going to genuinely hate it. You're just going to shit on purpose just to get revenge no, with the no, Matrix. I, 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 I'm not saying that. I, it's the fact that I made you announce what next week is just, just by bringing, just my branching it. Oh, yeah. Recommend whatever you want, man. It's I, all good. I did not care for The Godfather. It, I did. It insists upon itself. And it insists upon itself, Lois. It insists upon itself. Robert Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no. That's a uh, very good scene. Well, Steven, I, I suppose it, I, I suppose I will introduce your waifu awaits. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The Matrix Reloaded <laughs> is a <laughs> 2003 American science fiction action thriller film. You don't say. It is, uh, it is certainly a film. Tell me written, more. It is written and directed by the Wachowskis. Uh, it oh. is a. It is. Did, did they direct the last movie we just covered? Yes, yeah, I heard did, about yeah. those two. This oh, is I, I, I wonder if it's related. Yeah. Sorry, this go is on. the direct sequel to 1999's The Matrix. It is the second installment. Uh, the film stars Keanu Reeves, Lawrence Fishburne, Carrie Ann Moss, Hugo Weaving, all returning from the first film. As well as series newcomers, uh, Jada Pinkett Smith, Gloria Foster, and uh, Monica Bellucci as Persephone. Uh, yeah, so this is. Yeah, yeah, this is the sequel. Um, premiered in May of 2003. Uh, it is a continuation of the original story um, where we get to see Zion. Uh, we get to see all of the the world, and yeah, I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest here. I I really liked this film. Uh, hey. It's set six months after the events of the original Matrix, where Neo and Trinity are romantically involved, and you know the, the first like act of the film I think is a, more about sort of the the politics and sort of the the world building. And uh, it, it, it's a little slow to get going, but I I still had fun with it, and I think this might be the best of the sequels. I, I really like it. I agree it. There's, with that. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. that. Yeah, yeah. So, what did you guys think about it? Uh, I I think yeah. it's over. Well, the, the sequels in general, I think, are overhated. I really liked this oh, movie. I, like when, I when, agree. When, when it came out. I didn't watch it as much as the first, but the action set pieces in this mostly kept the same momentum. It was really cool seeing Zion for the first time. And something I was going to quote in the first film, and Ian, I, I can I can already hear you just just kind of just just kind of sneak your way in here. Just you don't know for, me for a minute. I I know you. <laughs> anyway, um, where was <laughs> I, where was I going with this? Go I on. just had to. I'm sorry. No, you're not. Anyway, um, so, <laughs> so, it, having a deja vu. The, the, 
No, no, it's all. Oh yeah, well, oh, we forgot about deja vu. There's, well, that that that, that, that it, it, it'll come up later. Don't worry. Um, so there is a quote that Kiryan Moss says in the first film, um, saying it's a question that drives us. And you know, you could argue that the sequels try to answer some things, but I, I really, I think they're just kind of uh, paying off some things that they already kind of established. Um, a lot of people would say that the sequels in general kind of tamper with the lore a little too much by trying to over-explain things. But I think the second film uh, still strikes that balance pretty well of presenting more of the world, but also keeping some questions and, and quite a lot of intrigue. Um, there are some uh, zany additional characters. Uh, the way they describe um, how, how different mythological features are... Uh, <laughs> it came up through, 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 through the centuries that all these werewolves, vampires are like glitches in the matrix and anomalies, um, which is an interesting idea. Um, but I don't know how, how well that's held up in the in the zeitgeist, at least in terms of the mythos of the matrix. But I do think there's some uh, great action set pieces, though. The whole highway sequence is yes. an absolute uh, is an absolute like set piece in terms of action. Um, films it absolutely holds up I don't think it's been outdone uh, until like Mad Max Fury Road um, in terms of just the scale and, and all the uh... yeah it's just a great I, I think it's a, a, a solid sequel considering how great the Matrix is it's really hard to beat after, after making that first film it's hard to kind of keep up to that quality but I think this film does a pretty good job of that still yeah I agree and I also I mean I, I loved how you know the first film like it has a pretty like it has a pretty good philosophical current as far as i understand what the film is alluding to like the first film is kind of this adaptation of uh, plato's cave and you know that was the the sort of theory that if a man was tied to a cave and all he knew was like the shadows on the wall that if you took him out into the sunlight, I mean, essentially against his will, you know, that he would, you know, he almost might reject it. Like his eyes would have to adjust and, you know, what is real and what is our reality. And, and this film, you know, reloaded, I can still see kind of that philosophical current. Like this film is talking about determinism. And what I think is brilliant about it is, like where the first film is kind of this adaptation of the monument, or I think I said that right, but like the hero's journey, you know? And it's like, this is, you know, his sort of rise and, you know, where it, it is, it's the hero's journey, but this film tries to kind of subvert that. And, and I think it does it really brilliantly. And I think it's kind of looking at, well, okay, you're the hero, but what does that mean? You know, you have people who are, uh, like, you know, worshipping him. Like, they're giving him gifts. Because he's Jesus. It, yeah, it's like he's Jesus. And, you know, what does that mean for someone? You know, and I, I feel like the second film gets a little bit too much hate. You know, because it, it is, like, it's not, it's probably not as good as the first one. But I think that it is really a satisfying uh you know expansion not only on the lore um but just on the film i mean i i think the action set pieces are um well earned they're well crafted probably just as well crafted as the first one um you have really, memorable really. characters 
you have like you know i mean th- there's not much more that you could want from a sequel it raises the stakes um i i thought it was brilliant i kind of hate this movie <laughs> i was uh-huh. uh, i did have some fun with it i'm not gonna lie i yeah. did have some fun with it uh, i will give you that much either just I, laughing I, i'm, I'm at waiting the film to be surprised by anything chase. you say from this point forward <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> funny but like 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 throw us a curveball like say you actually like the third one so but (laughs) but then i'd be lying but you know i just my biggest issue with this movie is that i feel like i missed the movie before watching it like it introduced so many characters like uh jada i I feel like you did too yeah, like Jay Plinkett Smith's character, like character that's from Enter the Matrix, couple character stuff from Animatrix, and I, it, it treated, it was they were treated like they've been there the entire time, but it's like I, I don't remember you from the first movie. Like, why are you introducing these new characters when I well, don't personally think the old character paid better attention to the first they movie? They need what? <laughs> sure, they weren't in the first movie though. Like, the new pilot they, they have didn't need who, to be whose whose name no, is Link, by the way. I mean, Ian, What's this it? is basic like writing stuff. Like, so, so he has this new pilot. So add new characters like, that are compelling and, and, and add he, something he, to he, the story. <laughs> he they he addresses his name, saying like Link. I know you volunteered on this ship, and but I must ask you. Like he says in that one sentence, in a way that kind of sounds organic, and the way he expresses it, who this new character is, what his name is, and why he's there. Hey, Link, you volunteered to be on this ship, but I need you to trust me. Kind of like but, in in one like sh- couple lines of dialogue, he establishes who this character is and why he's there, it, and then you get a little bit about his family life, and that you know his wife is very concerned about him being there. Um, I also love the first line that he says when he comes home, "Where is my puss?" And then he sees like the kids there, so he cuts himself off. Yeah, hilarious. <laughs> I mean, hilarious. That's very yeah. efficient character. I I don't need much more than that to get who this person is and why he's there. Like that's fine, but and, I, I feel like and, and, and that he's related to he's related to Dozier. Like if you really pay attention to the dialogue, there's little yeah. No, I, I get in that. There I absolutely that get in. that. But the the way they treat them like they've always been there is so weird to me. Like it's just well, that part of it. It's not weird to me at all well, because not... in their world they would have been. We're just getting to know them. But in something like let's say yeah, Lord of the Rings Part also... Two. Where, like, they introduce new characters, but they're the first time the characters are seeing the characters, so there's more of a justification for them to give exposition. Like, when Morpheus said, alright, you're a pilot, you volunteer on this mission, Morpheus, you already know that. You're, You're telling him information you two already know. Just for the audience's sake, but a good sequel I mean, like Terminator like Two or The Lord of Rings Two Towers, I, like it introduces new characters to the characters that are already established. This is like the most pedantic nitpicking I have oh, ever okay. heard. Okay, I, I, I have much in the best possible uh, Then way. let me go into a much bigger issue. I personally have the movie is that Neil was just not interesting in this movie to me anymore, and that's just because he's completed his arc in the first movie, and he's so so overpowered like what made the action right, scenes well, that superman thing yeah like yeah. what made the action scenes engaging the first film was that he did have a struggle he was barely getting by in each fight and that was kind of fun to watch but here it's yeah. like you could just you fly don't away at any in the fight with the the numerous uh, oh agent. let's talk about yes. that scene i think that <laughs> i personally no i don't think so not that much like he doesn't get bruised or cut or shot or anything like and even well, the one time no he does guns. get knocked back he just well even the one time he does get knocked back he just gets right back up again like like it was nothing 
Like, there was no issues. And the CGI in that scene is so bad. Like, it aged so poorly. Just the PS2 cutscene of him spinning around with his pole. I just... So many scenes are like that, where it's like, Neo it just br breezes through well, every fight, and it's okay, just not so interesting I, for I me to watch. Read, I have yeah. read... Um... The people that I think have misinterpreted that scene, and oh, they're talking God's about. Sakes. Well, all right, here, all right. No, 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 no. Just right. hear me out. No, There's people who is who have misinterpreted that, and and are like, well, why didn't he just like blow him up like in the first movie? And I think that oh, that's, that's kind of lost in the that's lost in the context of that. You know, in the second film, Agent Smith basically explains like. I'm not a part of the program anymore. You can't beat me like you did before because I'm a rogue agent and I'm copying myself. And I, I, yes. I think that, yeah, it's it's not as simple as, you know, he's just going to, you know, put his hand on him like in the first film. And it's also, I don't care you about know, it, it gets to a point where there's so many of them and they're overpowering him that he has to escape, you know, and he can't yeah. just do that to begin with because... He, he, you he's know, not fighting an NPC character. He's fighting a virus. Like this, like yeah, he's, exactly. he's basically becoming a virus, I, which is that's ironic not... considering what he mentions in the in the last film, saying, you know, he has that whole speech uh, with Morpheus saying, you know, I had a revelation where I'm trying to classify your species, where you're not really mammals, you're more like a virus. But then he ends up being a virus, basically in the Matrix. Yeah, which I, is uh, I, 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 but I'm that's really not my issue. Please interrupt him. Oh, fuck God. Okay, no, actually, no. First, that wasn't my issue with the scene. My issue was he could have just flown away at any moment. If I could probably would have been saying, he's putting himself at why? What established reason was there for him not to be able to fly away? And that's well, so one thing that I find very interesting, I really want to comment on this, is uh, Ian, you and I have very different engagement with that, that fight scene because. Uh, clearly it did not hit the effective override of rule of cool for you, but it definitely did for me. I Fair love enough. sitting back in my chair and watching as my, my brain goes a little bit fuzzy as I get into things. I love seeing Keanu Reeves jump in and spin kick and like smash cinder blocks over a hundred aged CG, but still very Hugo Weaving looking Hugo Weavings. And I just, yes. I love that scene. It was I so love... boring to me. I, 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 I <laughs> love, I, I love the bowling pin sound effect they use. What when... was that? Yeah. That was out of I, nowhere. I love that because it shows there's, there's a sense of self-awareness and there's a sense of humor about how ridiculous this is. I, I wish... see it as an yeah. absurd kind of spectacle of action and CG. And and they know it, and they know that's exactly what it is, and I appreciate sure. it for that. And you know what? One of the things that I look at this as is I also look at you know what does what does Agent Smith represent? He's very establishment. He's very suits and sunglasses. He's men in black, but he's you know he is the establishment. And so if you're thinking about uh, an unjust society with you know you know corporate and uh, suits over lording overhead, and you get to see Keanu Reeves come in and just beat the ever-loving crap out of an endless stream of them that to me even carries a, some catharsis to it you know i've i've seen i've worked in offices i've worked with you know very pompous executive people and for me seeing these sorts of you know characters desperately trying to keep their composure while someone very anti-establishment very free the one come in and just like spin kick them into oblivion is so much fun for me 
And I, I want to ask, guys, we've heard some criticism of Marvel movies where I believe it was, um, oh gosh, um, was it, um, who's the director who criticized Marvel movies for Martin being Scorsese. not cinema? Yes, Scorsese. Do you guys feel that uh, these movies tread the line of action, set piece, and real cinema well? Because for me, I, I think that they're very much, you know, one foot in i think these movies have one foot in both camps of being you know a, a thrill park ride and also an engaging piece of cinema for me you can make I, an I, I agree I, I believe i believe this was like a transitory kind of period which in, in a way in a weird way might might play into the trans narrative that they retroactively apply to it but um <laughs> well i, I I'm, I'm not going to get there yet but i do think that it starts off in that kind of cinema world but because it expands into a franchise from being successful and they expand on this idea, it does kind of turn into that theme park ride that Scorsese uh, has uh, critiqued or noted um, that the Marvel films are. And it's almost like Marvel kind of came from that idea of these franchise type films. This was like a real uh, transitory period between and the, I, in, in, in the 2000s going from singular genre films to these expanded universe type movies. And I feel like this series as a whole, and we'll get to the last film when we get to it, but I feel like it's kind of like the, uh, almost like the logical conclusion to that, but we'll get well, to it. And I, I feel like this is actually a lot deeper than some of the Marvel movies. I, I think, you know, it, there's this entire uh, scene at the deeper. end that I think of people, people, um, a lot of them kind of criticized with the architect. Um, mm -hmm. But I think that was actually one of my favorite parts. And I think it's like really well done. And the actor, um, I was trying to find his name. I, I don't think he's actually been in much besides this, which is unfortunate because I think he's a brilliant actor, but it also kind of fits, you know, that this is like, uh, you know, he's just the Matrix guy, you know, like yeah. maybe he really is he's the just architect. Colonel Sanders. Like that, uh, yeah, that kind of adds to the. <laughs> to the... Now we've been we've been very passionate. We've been we've been really having you know some energetic conversation. But I must ask, and I apologize, Stephen, for you know steering off of you for a second. But I'd love to ask Ian. You have some very strong opinions of these movies, so what is your favorite part of this movie? Oh, the car chase, because there, Neo oh, isn't the there. Yeah, Neo isn't there, so there's actual stakes <laughs> and tension in the scene. But it's also incredibly well done and executed. They basically build a freeway out in the middle of a desert. <laughs> well, you can't even tell, like, it's in the middle of a desert. They just shoot it. And built in such a clever way that it just feels like you're going in circles on that highway. So just the amount of work they put into that scene alone. And yeah, the motorcycle is really sick and the music is great in that scene. But I think that's the only scene I enjoyed in this movie. Like, I'm sorry, guys. I'm really struggling to find other things I'd like beyond some visual aesthetic choices. Well, I think the so, so the 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 motorcycle and the you know the highway that they built like there's actually an hour and a half documentary online that's behind the scenes of them oh, yeah. literally building this highway and i think that was the you know the the set piece for this entire film and i think that oh, it's insane you know yeah, it's that's the where level, all the money went. <laughs> well, I I think that the level of craftsmanship yeah. that's in that scene in particular justified 
you know, the entire film. But I would also argue, I think that this film is better than you're giving it credit for on a narrative level. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the scene with, and I was trying to talk about this earlier with uh, Helmut Bakaitis. I'm probably butchering yeah. that, but he plays the uh, the architect. And a lot of people criticize that scene for being too wordy or pedantic. Too on the and I, I, Well, and I think that that's kind of some of those, but... well, some of those criticisms might be valid, but I also think that, you know, when you're talking about this being who is essentially God, you know, it's like the God within the machine. It is, He's it's just created all of the KFC recipe. That's why. It, well, it's, I mean, you're not going to expect him to be like, yo, man, you know, can you dig it? Yeah. Like, you're you're going to make this choice. And the big revelation that he reveals is the fact that the, him being the one was plant was a planted thing. Like this revolutionary was, is embedded into the programming and is to create this false sense of hope and this false sense of, well, it's just racing the stakes for the sequel. Like that's my problem with it. It's not so much that's wordy and but it's, it's brilliant what they're doing because it, it works well. So. Well, okay. but you have this. Okay, you have this moment where you're like, okay, you're the chosen one. You've woke up. Like you're, you know, you're the best in the world. And now, this film is taking that, subverting it, and being like, no, you're only the chosen one because I want you to be. So you've got the first one is raising the stakes to what is your reality? And the second one is now, well, what is your reality? And maybe you're only woke because they want you to be woke. You know, it's 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 really I think it adds a lot of narrative richness and, and I, depth. I guess if I cared more yes. about the world of the Matrix, like that might just be the main issue with me is that it's like. If you like the mm-hmm. Matrix, here's more of the Matrix, and it could well, flesh out in some potentially interesting ways. But I guess the issue is I, I, I just think, don't I, care I about the Matrix there, that Ian, much. Well, I, I think you said it right there, Ian. You don't care about it, so that's a you problem. That <laughs> is definitely a you problem. Yeah, yeah. That, that's fair. I'll accept that. And, and, but and, and that's just, fine. Yeah. So. I just wish it built more into characters that were established in the last movie, I guess was my biggest well, complaint with this. I think it does. I, think I don't think so. Cool. It, I, it ha- I, I, it's too overstuffed with too many new characters and too many new ideas. Where it's like just stick with the simplicity of the first film. And well, and like they talk about this in the fourth film, which we'll get to. Yeah. We'll it, get you're to. never going to please the audience, you know, because no. you're yeah, you're, you're making a piece of art. And I've seen Quentin Tarantino talk about this. He was interviewed, and they ask him, uh, "Do you make a film with an audience in mind?" And he said, yes, I make it with me in mind because I'm the audience. I'm the person who would pay $7 or however much plus, you know, $10 worth of, you know, a Coke and popcorn to go see this movie. And if I think of if I'm making this for myself and this is the movie I want to make and this is the movie I would pay to see, then that's all that matters. And maybe people resonate with it and maybe people don't. But, you know, I think that that's probably a, a, a good, uh, you know, way of thinking if you are a creative artist. Yeah, you know, I agree with that. Like, you're I, not going to please and everybody. There, there, there's a contract stipulation that the Wachowskis had at the time when they were making these sequels is that they would make them 
if they didn't have to do any media interviews. And I think that helps them kind of really focus in and hone in on what the story they wanted to tell was instead of trying to show up somewhere and explain themselves to cameras and try to justify their thing and then have all these people go back and forth with this pedantic meandering uh, criticisms over the tiniest details when they're the ones crafting this world. Because I think this it's funny we kind of contribute to the problem here um I, just talking about the thing by uh over analyzing it deconstructing it, and trying to put it back together in our own vision um and this is kind of the double-edged sword when it comes to art pieces like this is when you create an entire world where anything seems possible and then you choose a certain path through it everyone's gonna feel one way or another about that and i think this is the the brilliance of the matrix franchise as a whole for bringing this up but also kind of the problem it creates uh in the in the same breath is that if everything's possible then every then everyone's going to complain that it, it, some things didn't happen one way or the other with <laughs> yeah, these movies that's fair yeah and, and i would never expect an artist to pander to my needs like i always say that you know people like michael bay they can make whatever movies they want i could shit on them all day, every day, but you know, in the end, it's their movie to make, and I and much prefer worry, that. Don't worry. Yeah, it's just Ian. My only advice is don't shit where you eat. <laughs> yeah, and, and here's the thing: like the Wachowski, even with the Wachowskis in the Matrix, like I'm glad they made the movie they wanted to make. I would never want to take that away from the artists. I I just hope that people can just see my perspective, my point of view. Exactly. Well, and I I mean it's. It's also kind of funny, I mean, because, uh, you know, Ian was talking about, or, uh, sorry, Devin was talking about the Wachowskis not doing any interviews, and it reminds me of that uh, kind of memed-to-death interview where uh, David Lynch is being asked to elaborate on why he thinks Eraserhead is his most spiritual film, and uh, he said, no, I'm not going to elaborate on that, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah, and it's Cooper just, did that I, a lot too. I, I, think I, I respect that more because he's I'd agree. He, he's he, he's uh, encouraging you to engage with his films on your own personal level rather than look for him for answers. Like art should be accessible to people and they should be up to interpretation. Like people should engage it engage in these things in their own way and not be looking for the creators for their answers. Like the film should suffice as a stepping off point for your own discoveries and your own discussions. And like you, you, like you can get some insight from the directors and that might help you kind of find your way into it, but you should, you, you should really work on finding your own way of understanding and interpreting it. Mm, exactly. Yeah. And I, I mean, I don't know. I, I, like I said, I really did, you know, I liked this film. I thought it was a, a great, Mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad you, know, you aren't expansion. just shitting on it like everybody else is. I'm glad you do have your own take on it. Like you are. I, <laughs> like not, you are yeah. I am not shitting on it because everyone should. Uh, this movie actually has a pretty decent meta score. Like it has like a 62 meta score. Roger Ebert gave this three and a half stars. So it does have its fans. It's just I'm not one of them. Mm-hmm. And trust me, mm-hmm. it's that's not the reason I don't like this movie. That's I try. Sometimes I can't help it, but I try not to let like critic opinions okay. cloud my judgment. But so uh, let's we have about... a half hour left. Yeah, and... I'm sorry. It's just so much to and talk we... about the Matrix. And the, 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 
Revolutions basically is, I, I would argue, is sequential to this. That's why I kind of kind of mushed them together on the banner because they came out the same year, and right after Reloaded ends, Revolution opens up. The, uh, it says to be concluded, and Revolutions is meant to be the grand conclusion to the Matrix trilogy. And yeah. um, how would you guys rate Reloaded first? Let, let's get that out of the way. Uh, I I think I would. I don't know, Devin. What are you thinking? I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna defer here for a minute. I'll, I'll give it a seven point five. I think it's a good follow up. Uh, not as uh, monumental as the first film, but I do think it has some great set pieces, and I do think it continues the legacy. Actually, I'm gonna round that up to an eight. It's it's solid. Nice. Yeah, That's I interesting. Think... I I'm a little bit lower actually. I I give this a seven point five. I was gonna be right there with you. For me, there was you know. Um, there were some they're brilliant action for me that I really loved. Uh, some phenomenal choreography, some really excellent fight scene, very innovative stuff. I don't know. I wasn't necessarily as gripped with the multi-layered storytelling in this one compared to the first one. So it only gets only gets a 7.5 out of 10 for me. Drew, I feel bad. I feel like I've been talking over you too much tonight. Oh, it's fine. <laughs> I feel bad. <laughs> no, I'm uh. Well, I'm going to give this an 8. I'm going to be right with uh, Devin. I, I think that it does um, do some brilliant things with the lore. I think it kind of subverts the original narrative. And I thought it was a really, um, you know, brilliant continuation of a story that I, I really liked. It does have its flaws. It does have its problems. Um, but not too much to kind of uh, spoil my, uh, you know, enjoyment of it. Um, very well made, very well crafted. I had fun with it. Uh, yeah, I, uh, an eight. I, I really like seeing the city of Zion that they keep talking about because they only talk about in the first one, and you can imagine like what that is, and maybe your imagination well, is better yeah, than what's on I, screen. But I, I, I like I like showing the the last human city and yeah. the like the, every, everyone talks shit about like the, the cave scene and the whole raid. <laughs> And, and, and subtly hinted at uh, Orgy. Okay, um, so I, I, that wasn't a fever dream. That scene happened. But No, no. But, but what I like is the lighting in that scene because everyone's skin looks sure. bronze. Yeah. And it shows, I don't know, it, there, there, there's a whole thing about like melanin and whatnot. But I do think I like the fact that the lighting makes everyone look, like, you know, similar. And it shows that we well, have more similarities and, and things in common than not. And I like that yeah, kind was, of humanistic was... element of it. I was going to bring this up also, and I know we need to get going, but one thing that I loved in particular about uh, about Reloaded that I thought was a really interesting thing they did was as they're uh, showing this, this sort of dance sequence, this rave party, that's intercut with uh, Neo and Trinity. Uh, they're having like a sex scene. And I thought that mm -hmm. it was really interesting how that was shot, because it's almost like you don't know where one of them <laughs> begins and the other one ends. There's this sort of weird androgynous like that mass. That, it's Beats so too bad. That, that whole scene just felt like it was just an excuse to push more techno music. 100%. No, no. But I, what's I'm wrong okay with, with that? that. I think there's I'm sure. the, the, the more techno orgies on screen in my movies, hey, the better. Drew, you get to see <laughs> well, Ke you get I, to see Keanu Reeves' ass, so uh, well, you, you no, can't I complain. Think that, 
well, is it Keanu's or is it Carrie Ann Moss's at this point? Or is it stunt doubles? Yeah. Well, yeah, no, I think I think that there's some brilliance to that. I think maybe there's some kind of deeper uh, meaning uh, based on the Wachowskis, you know, and and right. the so way they their lives sort of turned out. I, I think maybe there's some kind of oneness. Uh, between... Some deeper metaphors at play here, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. So, uh, Re- revolutions. Reloaded uh, gets a three point five. Uh, I'll introduce revolutions. Um, wow, what, no, what, what, what a warm rating. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll give it a warm introduction. Uh, spoiler alert: uh, If you haven't seen Revolutions, that is the wrong text. Uh, sorry, having some technical. Oh, Reloaded also introduces Mommy. I mean, uh, Monica oh, Bellucci. Yeah, I've got yeah. to mention. Yeah. <laughs> and also is, makes uh... a girl orgasm from a cake. Uh, moving on to Revolution. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> so oh, I, I, hear, uh, I hear Monica <laughs> Bellucci. I hear her and her husband uh, were expecting at one point. And if they were going to have a daughter, they were going to name it after the mother, you know, Monica. Oh. But if they had a, a son, they were going to name it after the father. Uh, lucky bastard was gonna be. Wow. <laughs> that's a, that's a more <laughs> uh, anyway. Wow. In another life, there's not a universe for that. Revolutions <laughs> is the epic conclusion to the Matrix trilogy. Everything is leading up to this moment. Neo is dead and he's in purgatory, you know, awaiting for a train. Super subtle, but you know, it. I, I guess it works fairly well. There's other problems with that scene that I'll get into, but the concept. I love, I love cool. how that scene opens up. I it it, it looks it, but go on. cool, but um, on the other hand, uh, it's also about Neo's struggle to reunite with Morpheus and Trinity. Neo has to plan to go to the Machine City to get rid of Agent Smith once and for all, and to build a truce with the machines while the machines are committing their assault on Zion, so Zion are desperately trying to defend themselves in the meantime, with all of these crazy-looking mech suits, and lots of screaming, and gunfire, and explosions. It's the end, basically. This is the epic conclusion, and... Can we at least admit this is the worst one? Can we all agree on that, at the very least? Are we including the fourth? Sorry. Yes. Um... Okay, because my criticisms and comments of this one are actually rather brief, uh, I actually like this one about as equally as the second one. Really? Maybe maybe I'd only give it a 7, not a 7.5, but I really admire them for even, like, trying at all, because we know what hype does to a franchise. So, yes, you know, there's... And we will talk about our criticisms, but for me, the the spectacle of it all, the amount of effort, the time and technical sophistication to have so many sentinels on screen at once, visualizing a machine-made city, the mythological backdrop that the characters exist within, uh, all of it actually works for me very well. And so I don't have much to criticize uh, people with, you know, um, the, the two henchmen who were like, albinos with dreadlocks not yeah. very fond of them but other than that you know they are this movie has movie. one of my favorite one-liners in the entire franchise and you guys we don't have to talk about the context yet but i freaking adore when neo turns to trinity and says you'll have to drive yeah. <laughs> that was kind of fun. that yeah. is one of my favorite one-liners in this franchise 
fair enough. Well, uh, I... What about you, Steven? Okay, if we're including the fourth one Incredible. also, yeah, I think this might be my least favorite. Um, <laughs> I think that it has... I think that it has a lot of good ideas. And I think, like Drew said, I admire the audacity of the Wachowski. I admire the ambition, yeah. That, yeah, to even try this. Yep. Because they're even like they're they're drawing from cyberpunk. They're drawing from Japanimation. They're drawing from Hong Dragon Kong Ball action yeah. and <laughs> Eastern philosophy and Christianity and the monomyth and all of this. Like, you know, they're trying to put it together cohesively. And I think that yeah, there's a lot of good ideas in this. I actually I I love the idea that. Uh, there's a scene in this where kind of going into what Drew was t talking about with the uh, uh, you'll need to drive. So the the story kind of picks back where the, the last one left off. There is a character who has been infected by Agent Smith in the <laughs> real world. And when we last left off, which I'm not even going to get into, but in the last movie they have this kind of like two characters and it's Neo and this agent Smith possessed character next to each other lying on a table. And that's how it ends. It's like to be concluded. And then the next film opens up and, uh, you know, Keanu Reeves, he has to take this machine ship on like a, a, a mission because this is the last stand. They're going to finally fight the machines. And, of course, this other character, who is actually Agent Smith, uh, wakes up around this time, and they get into a fight. And that is, like, one of the best fights of, like, the series, I would say. Yes. Really? It's very, so brutal seeing them, it, like, fight. Yeah. And, but, well, it, like, it, 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 the, the consequences feel much more grounded, and the states I'll feel much that. more yeah. realistic. Right. I think... And, and and just seeing like a machine possessing a human mind, and him saying like, "Look past these uh, cow gelatin eyes and see the eyes of your enemy." I mean, a little cheesy, but it works. It works for me, and it, it well, just and I think it's it, best fight scene in the movie. It does something really well that I think the rest of this movie <laughs> doesn't <laughs> do, which is it returns the films to a more kind of grounded sense. Yeah, there's actual mm -hmm. stakes. But yeah, there is, and it feels like it has more weight. And you know, this guy picks up the the you know big like I don't think it's like a lead piece of metal or <laughs> lead pipe or something, and he smashes into uh, Neo's face, and Neo is blinded. And I thought that that in and of itself, where you know Keanu Reeves has to bandage around his eyes while fighting the guy. Yeah, it, it, there's something brilliant about that. And actually, the Criterion Collection um, released like a, uh, I think it's like 25 <laughs> films or something. Like, I don't know if it was a box set or if it was exclusive to their streaming service, but it was like an older series of films from Japan that was about like uh, Zaitochi, the blind swordsman. And I thought that that whole idea 
of like he's the one and he has to see through like he's almost seeing energy you know it's not like like he's he's not seeing with his eyes he's seeing with like his third eye you know i thought that was fucking brilliant and I like that a lot. I, will admit, and I yeah. like the I, I, I like I like the stuff that Smith does saying, you know, the blind messiah. It's very uh, endemic of your whole species, isn't it? I mean, yeah, yeah. No, and and it, it's lines like that that I didn't understand when I first heard them when I saw this. I haven't seen this film in like ever since it came out and a lot of it went over my head. Some of it still does. But lines like that suddenly like, oh, I get what he means now. Damn, that's actually a little <laughs> more poignant than I realized. Yeah. So going back and, and rewatching these sequels, I'm like, people shit on these unnecessarily for, for no reason. Or I, I do think well, the dialogue gets a little overridden and it's a, it a little flowery and it makes it sound more complex and more, um, you know, and, and more uh pretentious i'm i'm here i'm I'm using your i'm using your tally there ian you can't say that word now um it does make it sound more 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 pretentious than it is but really at its core i still think it's solid i still think that the execution of these ideas are solid it's just a little overwritten in the dialogue but at its core the core tenets are still solid pillars to me true uh i agree Stephen. that's the best fight scene in the movie and i like how there's actual stakes in the fight and there's a consequence from it the moment before it is so dumb because the guy is like, Mr. Anderson, you tried to kill me before, but I don't know how you got up. And Kiara's like, what? What are you talking about? And then five minutes later, he realizes it's Agent Smith. I, I, I will concede calls... that it took him a while to figure that out. Like, the second he said Mr. Anderson, it should have clicked. Yeah, That's exactly. That's the only bit I'll Yeah. But okay. To... Uh, other than that, Drew, you were going to say something. <laughs> All I wanted to ask uh, is that, um, you know, uh, I really want to know about uh, Stephen's opinion on the character of the Merovingian. As a young Canadian kid growing up, you know, <laughs> uh... in school, we have to try at least and learn French. And so the Merovingian was the closest I'd seen to a character who liked the language of French. Well, he no, did I mean, not I... have a real French accent, though. <laughs> not even remotely. <laughs> well, okay. So here's here's the thing about this film. And um, Devin actually posted a, a link to a YouTube video. Um, and it was by a YouTuber named, uh, I think it was Entertain the Elk, I think was the, <laughs> the guy's name. Yep, yep. Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah, and, and the uh, the video was called, When Did the Matrix Die? And I kind of alluded to this, you know, he had his own theory, and, you know, there is a point in this story where I think everyone kind of agrees that it, it kind of falls off a little bit. But watching these for the first time, I managed to pinpoint where I fell out of this. And so there's a scene in like the first act of Revolutions. And I think it's actually, it's right maybe before the, uh, the, the blinding, you know, Fight where he's fighting the the agent Smith in the real world. Um, it's right before that when it starts out. You've got him in the train station. Um, you know you've got to get him out. They've got to go to the Merovingian. They have to go to him and ask him to open up the train station. The train man is there. There is this brilliant scene 
that's set in like almost like a BDSM club. <laughs> and it's like these. Or attack the music. <laughs> No, which, no. Uh, wait, wait, wait. Which isn't a mistake. The Wachashis were into that shit. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> no, yeah, no, they're no, also into BDSM. And uh, there, there's like bondage mercenaries with like covers over their yeah, face. That there's, 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 there's a titty twist scene, which I'll admit I freeze frame more than once when I was a kid. <laughs> no, and there's, there's also this, uh, well, it reminds me almost of like uh, Clive Barker's Hellraiser, you know? I guess, and, yeah. He was in that yeah, too, though. And it's, it's brilliant and i loved it and i thought this is going great and then they get to a part where they're like we need you you know if you're going to you know like get your friend out i want you to go cut out the oracle's eyes and then for no reason almost at all trinity is like no we're not going to do that and she just pulls a gun at him yeah it didn't even matter and it it really cut all of the narrative tension, yeah, and I that think would have been an immediately. Thing. Yeah. Well, and Monica Bellucci at that point, like she's there for one scene, and her entire like uh, purpose is so to that's say, why you "Don't like it." No, no, just listen. <laughs> like her entire purpose is just to say, like, uh, she'll do it. She loves him. And from that point on, I think the next scene after that is like Agent Smith. And there's like he's just going insane over this like plot. He uh, laughs like, maniacally. <laughs> he's just a maniacal like, bad guy. <laughs> and he's like deliberately purposeful. <laughs> it's that to me was where I think the plot got lost, and I didn't quite know what I was watching anymore. Well, it, here's and the so, thing: in both the Matrix sequels, they just turned like a Agent Smith got what he wanted out of the first movie. Like, technically, his arc was done as well. He wanted to escape the Matrix, just like the others, and he got his chance to do so. So everything he does in the sequels are just, uh, he's just a bad guy, because we need an epic bad guy in our epic trilogy. Well, no, I, I mean, I don't agree with so that. So he's just also... maniacal and over-the-top and just one-dimensional. He... Do you think he really wanted out of the Matrix and to, and to get to Zion? Like... Like, or was that just what he was saying to try to get an answer out of Morpheus? I think Cause... he generally wanted. I, I just, well, I guess I prefer to think it that way because it does give him some depth to his character, and it's like, okay, mm -hmm. like, like you said, John like, Pontaliano gives him an interesting motivation. But in the sequels, mm -hmm. they, he's just so one-dimensional and cartoony. It kind of reminds me of how like Endgame treated Thanos over Infinity War, and people's issue with him kind of becoming more one-dimensional and maniacal. This is like that, just taken to the nth degree. <laughs> well i you know i don't know i mean I, I i feel like i don't know i i think that like for some reason i mean i i, I liked his sort of uh villainous turn in uh reloaded i i disagree with you i think that he was I think he was had some purpose in Reloaded. Yeah, I think Revolutions. Yeah. Well, in Revolutions, I mean, you talk about like the first film, and you can very clearly, and I talked about this earlier with the philosophical current. So the first one is the monomyth. The first one is Plato's cave. Uh, you know, the second one is dealing with subverting the monomyth and determinism, and the. Third film, I can't find 
the current. I can't find what it's exactly about. It's just a and payoff. It's, cool. it's just the well, final I, I, I think it's 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 basically a. It, I see it as a sequ sequential continuation of the second one. That's why I kind of put them together. They both well, came out the it, same year. They were filmed back to back. Dealing, I, I think that it's dealing with fatalism, which is kind of the opposite of determinism, but it doesn't like. I don't know. It doesn't quite work. It doesn't do anything and, with those ideas. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, well, and you think about like in the first one, I can name the action scenes. I can name the set pieces. And the second mm -hmm. one, we talked about that big, you know, highway chase. Yeah. And like the third one, it tries to do that, and it does succeed in that one sequence with uh, the, you know, the. Um, the agent the blindings you know the agent yeah, smith fight trail yeah yeah but then it just after... turns to pure schlock like it just turns to pure schlock and just showing off but special after effects that it's like the the scene where the um oh god the the machines are like rising up and <laughs> they're you know like it, it's like these big ugly blobs and it's just it's it it's so bad. gross and gray and it, it doesn't it doesn't have the same narrative weight it doesn't look it's good i can't connect with the stakes yeah. like these big robot mech suits there's something <laughs> about it i don't know and it was quite a disappointment yeah. i i yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, I can imagine how people would feel disappointed. Just The funny thing is, like, the mech suits, every kind of mech suit is, like, screaming constantly. And I just thought that was really funny for some reason. The captain especially was just like, ah! ah! Oh, bless God, even, even when he gets sliced up, he's still yes. screaming. It feels like a bad Godzilla English dub where... Like, oh, the actors man. have no idea what they're doing. Like, they're clearly just sitting in front of a green screen, and they have no idea what they're reacting to. So they're just like, all right, just scream and press the trigger for 50 minutes, and we'll just splice the footage together and, and hope to God that it fits. <laughs> and, like, it's just constant screaming. That, I'm thinking of stakes you do connect with. All the way back from Matrix 1, I want some stake to plug me back into the Matrix. Lads, yes. is it time we address Matrix Resurrections? Are, are I think I think so, but let's we, go. We, 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 we have we have right. we have like five minutes in our normal <laughs> clock. <laughs> All right, we're gonna go a little over time, but okay. Two out of uh, ten for for revolutions. Let's rate it real quick. Uh, two out of ten for revolutions. It's a piece of shit, but I laughed at it a lot. So there you go. <laughs> I, I I would give it a seven. I think for better or for worse, it's included the franchise the way it was meant to be. Um, it's not as memorable as the other two films, but. It works and it's got some scenes. It's got uh, some scenes. Steven, won't it, you read it? it? I will. Uh, I I will be a little less forgiving. I I think I'm gonna give this a uh, uh, a six out of ten. I feel like I'm being a little gen generous here. Uh, this mm -hmm. was unfortunately. Yeah, this was unfortunately kind of a disappointment. So, speaking of which, let's talk about Matrix uh, Revolutions. Resurrection. So you meant it. Okay, Drew, take it away. I I, I didn't admit a damn thing yet. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> so, love you too. um, this is you know if if our audience is listening in this late, then you know what there there's no holds barred on spoilers now. Matrix nope. Resurrections is the story of the un unexpected continuation of the matrix saga 
where we discuss the literal uh, and figurative resurrection of the story cast and characters. Matrix Resurrection centers around uh, Neo being a man who's grappling with what is real and what isn't. Uh, he the movie establishes him as uh, a real-life person who works in a game design studio, the Matrix being his intellectual property and most cherished product. Um, from there, the story spirals and unravels as Ma Neo tries to grapple with, is his life really what he remembers it being? Is the Matrix real? It's an extremely meta-commentary of a movie with a lot of unexpected moments in it, for me in particular. And I'll be honest, I did enjoy myself. Uh, there's This is not the Matrix that I expected, but that's actually what I asked for. The last thing I wanted to see watching this movie was some absolutely dead and bland rehashing, a soulless corporate remake, and this movie subverted my expectations and dove off in enough 90-degree angles that I had a good time with it. I'm sure we'll hear your thoughts in just a second, but I really gotta say, I, I had fun with this movie for several reasons. Um, mm -hmm. The... I actually really like Keanu Reeves acting in this movie. I think he's I think he's fun. I genuinely love Carrie Ann Moss in this movie. I know she's got like nowhere near enough screen time and we will get to him, but my favorite character in this movie was actually Neil Patrick Harris. I'd agree and, with that. Uh, I need yes. to know what you guys think. I'd agree. Yeah, Judy Hauser did a good job here. Um <laughs> this movie is a hot steaming mess and it is a product of a uh, of a time of what of, that i like to dub the sequel apocalypse where all these uh, corporate franchise or corporate entities are trying to rehash and resurrect their franchises to try to melt as much money out of them as possible by needlessly bringing back these characters to life um this is something warner brothers has been bugging the witch has um which they actually mention in the film. And the only reason that this film came to be is uh, Lana Wachowski um, and, and Lily Wachowski, both their parents had passed away uh, not far apart from each other. And it was at that point that Lana said, you know, that, that, that's when these two characters kind of came back to life uh, for her. And that's when she wanted to revisit this. Uh, this film was not really planned. It was just kind of done. And it is an absolute hot mess showing the worst parts of uh, corporate kind of uh, consu consumerist greed trying to rehash franchises. And I love it because it acknowledges that fact and it makes uh, – it, it's like a perfect logical conclusion to this era of filmmaking. And I hope it serves an example of uh, why you should be pushing original ideas and not trying to rehash old ones. I think that this is a brilliantly – stupid and stupidly brilliant film i think it's the best and worst thing lana wachowski has ever made and i think uh it yeah i don't know i i, I love this film for all the wrong reasons <laughs> and i love the fact that everyone hates it for the exact reasons it was made uh, okay that's a well really darn good summary in my opinion that's much. a fun summary thank you i i, I, really I enjoyed like the shit out of this movie for all the wrong reasons i'm proud and, of you well so i yeah. Okay, so I watched this. I watched like all three of the original Matrix films over the week. 
And then yeah. Tuesday night, I started this film. And I actually did the same thing that they talked about on the uh, Red Letter Media review, where yeah. I started it <laughs> the first night, and I was like, ah, it's too late. I need to, like, get some sleep and come back to this. And so the next morning, I came back and I finished it. And, yeah, I... I think this film is an absolute disaster, but there's something about it that I can't like look away from. It is, it is absolutely a disaster. It's a catastrophe. It doesn't make sense. And I feel like the film is kind of on the audience's side a little bit. Like we don't want to be here either. And I was surprised by how, self-deprecating this film was and how yeah. self-aware it was and it's like I, I i fully understand and acknowledge that this film is you know, lena wachowski did not want to make this you know keanu this was Reeves, her processing grief basically this is her well she said that but i think what it actually was i think that the studio came to them and was like we're gonna do this with or without you um, Can we talk and about that, that scene? Becomes a plot point yes. Yes, talk about that scene. But it's like, no, they were, I mean, even as far back as like 2017, there was articles about like, they're going to remake this with Michael B. Jordan, the, <laughs> the guy from Black Panther. Yeah. And it's and, like... And Space Jam. <laughs> yeah, no, but it, it, there's something <laughs> about this that like, I, I don't, like, I don't think this is by any means a great movie i don't even think that it's necessarily a great matrix movie but if i had to choose between this or you know we're gonna have some newbie guy come in with like 15 studio heads over his head trying to tell you what the audience thinks they want and like we're gonna EA get games. like Dwayne the Rock Johnson as Morpheus or something like that. <laughs> yeah Kevin Hart as yeah, Trinity I would, I would I would definitely choose this yeah it's it, it's a clusterfuck and I I kind of admire its audacity I uh, I, I think yeah. I, I think Lana you know after burying her parents uh, said fuck it I'm gonna bury this franchise and <sighs> And it's just well, like I'm, but, I'm going down with the ship, and I absolutely admire it for that. And, well, it, it's kind of like they can't ask me to do another one if the last one is the worst possible movie. Um, yeah. People talk about uh, in comparing this to uh, Joe, Joe Dante's Gremlins 2. Um, and we, was, we you know, the channel, I mean, I wasn't there the last episode where you guys talked about back in action. But, uh, you know, that film, especially, like, just rips apart studio executives. And, and you know, Steve Martin is essentially this evil <laughs> mustache-twirling uh, studio executive He's villain who doesn't understand the audience. Hmm. And I think that, yeah, this, this film is, uh, it's, it's not good, <laughs> but it's not necessarily bad. Like I don't know. Uh, I I think that I, it's... I think it's uh, unfortunately a product of what it also aims to criticize, and that's these yeah, that's corporate kind of my shallow rehashing of, of movies. But I think at the least uh, there is a heart to it where they are trying to do their best with the material, and it is coming from like that kind of place. But the the motivations behind it are different, and all these things. And I feel like it might unfortunately become more relevant uh, in the future. We just don't quite see it yet. Yeah. Um, 
and uh, there, there, well, there's some really was... poignant commentary that, uh, that 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 Neil Patrick characters make because he's the analyst and he's kind of like saying how people's uh, motivations are, are not by well this this word kind of plays into the whole social media thing it's like facts don't care about your feelings and feelings don't oh, care about your facts can we, can we <laughs> talk about that he's basically a cartoonish caricature of Ben Shapiro <laughs> <laughs> I didn't like, think of it that way theoretically <laughs> and hypothetically if you were in the matrix you know I mean it's and it's also I mean I kind of love that and I don't know if anyone has specifically talked about this in regards to reviewing the film. Um, but to me, it really does a good job of representing the kind of political divide in our culture. And I thought that what was genius about it as a satire is that on one hand, yes, you have this plucky teenage girl who's like a fangirl who, you know, the film even makes a point to kind of like mock her and be like, no, you're a young kid. You don't know what you're fighting for. You have no idea. Like, go home. How could you resurrect Neo? Like, you're an idiot. You're a young idiot and you mean well, but you just go away. And you're it's annoying. like, that is yeah. the sort of left wing, like, woke, like, you know, she's like she. I mean, she's even got like the short, she's blue got the kind of social yeah. justice haircut. <laughs> <laughs> and then on the other side, yeah, you have Neil Patrick Harris, who's sort of this like dude bro, and he's like a Ben Shapiro guy, and he has he even says sheeple in the movie. Yeah, <laughs> and it's yeah, we gotta talk know, about the writing in this movie. It, well, but hold on. I mean, I think that, and I think the film is kind of brilliant because it doesn't necessarily take a side with either of them. It just mm -hmm. like, and I, I don't know, man. It's it's kind of. I thought it was pretty one sided. Yeah, against Neil Patrick it's Harris. Not, but... It's not. It's yeah. like it's not like New Nightmare. But no, it's it, no new nightmare. It's no back in action, which is. Funny I think it's quite. I think it's quite like new nightmare. Actually, I think it's the really? new, new nightmare. nightmare is so it's, much it's more a, creative than this. It's 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 a, it's a neo nightmare. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, I hey. mean, I think new nightmare is a lot more. A lot more creative know, and a lot more genuinely but... good. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. This movie was not at all what I expected. I purposely tried to not expect anything, and I was just blown away by it. And it does feel hashed together in some way, but I like that it is kind of an anti an antithesis antithesis to a lot of these other corporate things. Like even though it's a product of what it's satirizes, I do think it satirizes those things well. I I was cackling throughout the entire uh, meeting scenes, like like the whole montage of them trying to define what makes the Matrix the Matrix. Because I imagine Larry and Andy and Lana and Lily, uh, all four of those uh, people, have heard those. Mm -hmm meandering criticisms go back and forth and pe other people trying to find what their whole world is and it just gets it's it's well, an absurdity and i love and the fact that they put a spotlight on that well and that to me i think that's what that's what really kind of hits home about this movie is that if you look at it as a matrix movie it's even worse than it actually is and i think that's a lot of the the sort of disappointment that you're seeing on social media is people going into this and rightfully so expecting this kind of continuation of the story and tying things up in a nice little, little bow and making it just perfect. But this isn't 
a Matrix movie in a traditional sense. What this is, is it's using the Matrix as a narrative vehicle to satirize and mock current Hollywood. I can respect the ambition behind that, but my problem with this movie is that it just doesn't do it well. Like it, it, you compared it to New Nightmare, but fair, New Nightmare but... is so much more creative than its fourth wall breaks. Like that's oh, I I agree. I imagine but... that he had more support though. Like I don't know. Like I don't know how much this movie had like, 185 million dollars dollar budget. <laughs> how is so that not on my remember. mind though? Uh, Devin had an excellent comment about how he went into this movie, and the way that I went into this movie, I actually would uh we we didn't include this one because five movies in a row is way too much but my second favorite matrix movie is the animatrix and i, I love that. it because it's just anything that it darn well wants to be so i went into this movie not framing it as a logical and flawless continuation of what should be a very concluded story but rather as a Twilight Zone, a what if, an animatrix film with a lot longer of a runtime than 25 minutes. Uh, and that, looking at it through that lens of just a, a what if, is really what let me enjoy this movie so much. For me, Matrix concluded back in the early 2000s with Matrix uh, Revolutions. Um, that was, you know, it was good. It was fine. They had giant mechs and a million rendered squid monsters that <laughs> ended up, like, melting half a studio's computers. Uh, that was the end for me. So when I saw Resurrections, I think it will probably help audiences to look at it much more like a what-if story rather than a set-in-stone continuation of the story and i have no problem yeah, with that and i appreciate I the film agree. trying to be like a bit more clever than just a generic sequel but it's the fourth wall breaking that is actually my least favorite part about the movie because when you just go oh if we just admit that we're bad and we admit that studios are running out of ideas and that this is a generic sequel then nobody can blame us however the big problem with this movie is that it's a product of the thing they're mocking like you said and that just drove me nuts. Like the film Which was just I, so far I, up its I, own I put ass. More blame, I put more blame on the studio than Alana in, the, in that I case. I fully they, put well, blame on Alana. They're, 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 so, they're, they're the ones that were bugging her about it over the years. Okay, they, so they, so yeah. I I have a question, yeah. and I'm going to pose this to Ian. Please do. All right. Okay. Go ahead. Because I know you don't like the franchise, but hear me out. Okay. So, let's say you know just like the hypothetically right i'm just yeah. not going into my ben shapiro impersonation but um <laughs> you know, let's say that you make a film a trilogy of films mm -hmm. and you know put yourself in lane's shoes here right yep you have made a trilogy of films that like whether i like it whether you know Devin likes it whether drew likes it like no matter whatever you have gotten to a place in your career where you have made three massive blockbuster films that for better or worse have entered the cultural zeitgeist that have influenced almost every piece of media since then mm -hmm. okay and the okay. studio calls you in and it's been 20 years, you don't want to do this, you've moved on, 
Yeah. And so the option is almost <laughs> red pill, blue pill, you know, you can do what, you know, we want you to do, which is you do whatever you want and you try to continue what you've already decided is finished, or we bring someone else in here and they're going to screw up everything. You can either be self-aware about that and at least try to give this film theories that you've dedicated almost half of your life to. Like, you can try to give it some dignity and try to poke fun at the entire situation, or you can watch someone bastardize your original vision. And I think that is the mindset that, that you need to put yourself in. And I'm curious, what would you do? My thing is, if you lose passion for a franchise, it's time to move on. As terrible as that sounds, as terrible as it sounds for someone else to ruin the franchise that you created, it's time to move on. Because I feel like if you lose passion for something, you need to move on to something else. Like It's, like, it's the same situation with TV shows getting bad over the years, or bands kind of losing their mojo. They're just going on much longer than they wanted to, and sure, someone else can interpret their work and screw it up, but at least you could say you weren't the one who screwed it up. You could at least say, I ended things on a good note, I'm happy with what I created, I can move on to new projects. Well, and see, that's, my life. I mean, and that's, personally that's a what I hell of a decision to make. It's a tough decision, mm. don't and get me wrong, but that's what and, I would and, personally do. And, and that's what they have been doing for the last 20 years, Ian, because Warner Brothers have been asking them, constantly over the years with this they 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 pulled up trucks full of money to their to, to you know to, to their house that's that's how they put it anyway yeah. um and they and they've said no every single time the only thing that like pushed her over the edge is the fact that their parents um died and for her neo and trinity those two characters kind of came back into their mind and so that passion was found again and they kind of used it I as a vehicle to criticize here. the whole situation it no that's that that's what she says in the interview that that's that's what that's what it came out of. It came out of a grief, and it came out of needing this kind of comfort it came out again. Of desperation, and that's what it feels like. It feels like somebody who I, it feels like somebody who moved on from a project they left uh, it's, a very long time ago, came, and they came back with a very different perspective, a very different mindset, and not necessarily a good one, in my opinion. Like the the matrix. It came is, from a. It came from mourning. It came from grief. It, it, yeah, exactly. I think it, it didn't came come from, from a good place. I, 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 I would agree with that. I think that the first few films are coming from a place of optimism and a sort of, uh, I'd agree with that. like hopeful eye. Yeah. And I feel like this is more. It's cynical. spiteful. It, it, it reminds me of older... Ryan Johnson with The Last Jedi. It just feels very spiteful mm -hmm. and angry. Uh, I wouldn't well, quite call it that. But I, I kind of thought that either. <laughs> and and I, I was going to mention George Lucas as someone that did move on. He sold all the rights to Star Wars, and then Disney did that stuff with them. So. Yeah. Well, and I mean, maybe that was, maybe that was for the best after the prequels. I don't know. You got to remember, well, it, George Lucas <laughs> did the prequels. I mean, I think they get overhated, and I I feel the same about the Matrix sequels. But this is, I don't know. Like like I said, if I had to pick between this and trying to reinvent the wheel with someone else trying to retread like what we've already seen in this not as self-aware way yeah i mean i i would i would go with this i mean I, I don't know i mean it's you know keanu reeves isn't 
30 years old anymore. The fight scenes here are kind of lame. The cinematography is not great. As far as the actual narrative, like, not the sort of meta-commentary that's mostly in the first the act, but, like, so throughout the... Like the recovering Trinity from the Matrix and that whole stuff. I don't know that I understood all of it, and I don't know that maybe I was supposed to. And to but, uh, add light to yeah. the situation, let's talk about some choice lines of dialogue. Uh, hey, it's alright, this is an old friend. Hello, old friend. What? I, I think, Devin, you literally just said what as soon as that scene came up. <laughs> Well, uh, yeah. I, I, there, there, there are a few moments like that, but I, I literally had a grin on my face through like two thirds oh, of this I know. movie. Oh, I know. Yeah, and uh, I mean, you could, you know, you could like really try to give them some credit here and say that that's like mm-hmm. kind of like that Will Smith, like, so what? We're some kind of suicide squad. <laughs> you know, maybe yeah, it's funny. Knowingly... I'll give it that. It's entertaining, but I, I find yeah. this movie the most boring. Out of all the Matrix movies, to and me. I like there's just nothing holding this together, and I was I falling think that that's on. maybe valid. I mean, I I could definitely understand because going into this, I was honestly like disappointed that they didn't keep the whole, uh, you know, blind swordsman thing. Like I was so disappointed when you found out that his yeah, eyes he just uses been the corrected. <laughs> he just uses and the it... force for the second half of the movie, and that's it. Yeah, but then, but I mean, it's also funny because the any kind of criticism that you could level at this film, it's like it's already thought of that, you know, like it's yeah. already making fun of any kind then of reaction that you're gonna have. Your criticisms. The the other like, there's a post credit scene after this where they go back to uh, the the boardroom scene and all of the people at Warner Brothers are like, "What if it's just cat videos and we call it the cat trick?" <laughs> <laughs> it's yes. just a meme. Feel like like the movie is just very... a meme at this point. Don't doesn't I... uh, the Neo guy dab at some point or do a weird dance? It's When I saw when I saw all the poster art for this, I thought it was like bad fan art. Like what when I saw like the first ah, initial it, posters for it, it looks so bad. That were not, which I think was intentional, possibly. I don't know. I think anyway. So. That's probably we, we have to we have to wrap up here. Uh, this movie's a fun match, and I loved every second of it. Uh, I give it a six point nine. Nice. What about you, Drew? Honestly, I'm I'm very close to that. I think I get this one gets a five out of ten for me. There was good stuff here, and I did enjoy a lot of it. And I think that I was helped by having a very relaxed mindset going into this. So five out of ten for me. Three nice. out of ten. Uh, uh, there's I, some nice cinematography. I That's think about it. it's a disaster. It's an absolute train wreck, and I couldn't take my eyes off of it. So <laughs> for, for That's revolutions worse, for me. I, I, I'm going to give it a 6.9 out of 10. This is... I don't know, man. It's yeah, it's a hundred percent terrible, and I kind of love it. It's a, in spite it's, of it's a bad movie. It, it, it's it's everything, personality. It's everything. I get that. No, I I, I love I love how people just uh, just just put so much praise on Spider Man and then shit on this when they're both a product of the same thing. Yeah. <sighs> well, and I, you know, I kind of. I don't know, man. I, I mean, more Patrick Harris character, it. like yeah. he steals every scene yeah, he's, he's in. He's very fun, guys. and there's a lot of. There's a lot of good ideas in this. There's a lot of interesting, you know, things that they're kind of playing with. And I don't know, it's it's hard for me to just definitively come out and say that this is 
like bad in the traditional sense. Mm-hmm. And I do I feel like because I, yeah. I well, hold on. I do wonder because Keanu Reeves um made the statement to Lena while they were filming this and as he was watching it, um, that you know, I saw this interview and she said that, you know, his reaction was that the Matrix influenced the next 20 years of cinema. And he wondered if maybe this would influence the next 20 years. And I do wonder, is this a situation like like Southland Tales or something that's like not quite found its footing, but it's maybe Only like, will tell. It, it, it's maybe ahead of its time. Time will and tell. I wonder if 20 yeah. years from now, like we're gonna go back and rewatch this and be like, "Oh shit, they were so on to something." They were right, yeah. They were right all on. Yeah, you never know. And, like it, it, it all depends on know. what happens in the next twenty I years. I don't know. It's interesting to think about, though. Yeah, we should uh, we we should come back and re-re-review it then. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, I, I feel like uh, we need another episode where we talk about revolutions and resurrections because we didn't get enough time to talk about that. I wasn't done shitting on revolutions. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> I, 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 well. Drew, I want to invite you back whenever we get to Animatrix because I think that is uh, an episode worthy of yes. time to really take to, uh, yeah, time with, and maybe we'll pair it with some other animated uh, anthologies. I'd love to pair it with like the. Uh, the Blade Runner short films that they did. Oh, oh there you go. yeah, that's that's a good idea. Or no, the Star Wars anime. We could do the Star Wars anime, <laughs> the Blade Runner shorts, and the Animatrix all one episode. Ooh, there you go. And bring. I would. I right. would love to join, guys. Uh, thank you so much for having me. It's no, been thank you, an man. Absolute pleasure. It's good to have you back. Uh, I am. I am going to take this red pill and go down the rabbit hill. And be I mean, super uh, based. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm gonna take the red and the blue pill, crush it into a nice fine pink powder. Ooh, that oh, that might be a bad idea. Yeah, so, <laughs> sir, for All the right. last time, you are not based in red pilled. You are on the no fly list. Please <laughs> yeah. go away. I am blue pilled. I'm on the no fly list, and I am a alternate version of Ben Shapiro and the creepy French guy. I get it. Hypothetically speaking, I loved how that the Merovingian shows up as like a grungy homeless guy, but not and, Hugo uh, Weaving. Resurrections, yeah, because you know it's like that's the guy course, I wanted to come back. Of, of <laughs> course, his uh, life is in shambles after losing uh, Monica Bellucci. And <laughs> that was probably the most accurate depiction in the, That's the uh, most realistic entire resurrection. Yeah. <laughs> Mommy Bellucci. But uh, anyways, yeah, Mommy Bellucci. <laughs> that was a fun discussion. I know I was pretty negative, but, you know, it, it made for an interesting discussion. I hope you guys yes. felt the same and way. And I won't be back uh, next week, but uh, the week, week after. after next, I think we're talking about some drilling films. I don't know. We'll, yeah. <laughs> we'll figure that out. Oh, boy. Hopefully. Oh boy. Oh boy. Uh, Next week, uh, thank you, Drew. I I know you didn't get to say much. I'm sorry if I interrupted you a lot, buddy, but thank you so much for coming with us. I love having you on the show, man. No, dude, it's fine. I love it's so much fun for me hearing your opinions in particular because they are so very contradictory to mine in so many ways. So, like, (laughs) I just had a great time with this. Take care, Steven. It was so much fun hearing from you again, dude. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Good to get to talk again, Drew. And uh, thank you all. Good night. Yeah, good night. Heck yeah. And uh, next Thursday, we are talking about the Godfather trilogy, which includes Godfather Part 1, Part 2, and Part 3, 
I will not be seeing the coda of the Godfather 3, the remastered version. I'll just be seeing whichever version is on the Blu-ray, which is just the same version, but with remastered footage with different looks. So it looks more, you know, clean and crisp. So look forward to that next week. And uh, hopefully we can get a nice guest for that. Devin, maybe we should try and get... Um, I'm sorry, I forgot her name already. Is it Alexis? Yeah. I, I'm terrible with names. I do apologize, Alexis, if you're listening to this. Uh, maybe you'd like to join us next week. Um, we'll ask you and see what you think. And if so, yeah, I'd love to talk about these films with you guys. Um, they're kind of a big part of my household, too. And I haven't seen three yet, so I'm interested to see where that goes. Thank you again, Drew. Thanks, Devin, for the really fun discussion. And uh, it's the first day yet. All right, take some red pills and get some panties wet, everybody. Goodbye.